There's no protection for us. Can't you see that, my dear? The Night of the Sorcerers. With Simon Andrew, Gally Hansa, and Jack Taylor. The ferocious leopard women struggle to their death in the night of the sorcerers. The Night of the Sorcerers. Produced by Pro Films and Hesperia. Directed by Armando de Osorio. The Night of the Sorcerers. Coming soon to this screen. a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality, the curse of the devil, Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to the Nashy Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight we do uh, episode number 33 of the Beyond Nashy thread of podcasts here on the show, where we examine Spanish horror films that don't star Paul Nashy. Right. Not that they don't necessarily have Nashy connections, because, yes. boy, yeah, this lots. one do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tonight we're discussing uh, a uh, not-much-talked-about Amando D'Asorio film, there might be reasons for Could that. Be. We might unearth some reasons. There might be. We, we might, traipsing through a fake jungle, <laughs> discover some reasons why this one isn't as lauded mm-hmm. as, say, his Blind Dead movies. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, uh, we just wanted to make sure that everybody was aware. Hey, uh, you know that the most recent Paul Nashy Blu-ray available is from Mondo Macabro. It is The Frenchman's Garden, a mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. rare film, never released here in the States, never dubbed into English. And uh, very well worth your time. Uh, sneak on over there. The uh, limited edition has already sold out, but the standard edition will be available very soon. Which brings to mind, of course, How the Devil mm-hmm. from Mondo Macabro. Mm-hmm. And, of course, currently, all of the uh, Blu-rays of Paul Nashi films that have been released here in the States are still in print, and you should rush out there. Yes, And absolutely. get them. Because mm-hmm. there's a part of me that fears, you know, we're getting up on the five-year mark on, say, oh, I don't know, the Mm. Scream Factory five Mm. film sets. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how long... Really, I don't have any idea how long they have contracted to be able to to have the the rights to those films. But if you were putting off getting your hands on any of these Nashy Blu-ray sets, um, probably want to try to take advantage 
chip away at that 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 list of films as quickly as you can, because uh, boy, we all have experience with things going out of print yes, unexpectedly, <laughs> and suddenly you ain't got it, yeah, and you ain't gonna get it, yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, don't I, I have to say right now? Unfortunately, we don't have any idea of there being any new. Paul Nashy films coming out anytime soon on Blu-ray. Nothing we've heard. Nothing we've heard as yet. That doesn't mean that there's not something on the boil. Mm-hmm. Something we've been uh, just kept out of the loop on. Who the heck knows? But as soon as we hear something and uh, can be released mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually let you know, mm-hmm. we'll allow you to know. Also, we should also mention, uh, I guess I should also say also one more also time. Please say also as many times. Man, I got hooked on that word all of a sudden there, didn't I? The bra- it's like my brain fried. Hit a loop. <laughs> Not a problem. Let me try again, folks. Change, yeah, try in addition to as just sort of a in, yes, different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in addition to that, mm-hmm. remember that sometime later this year, we hope, we don't have any definitive release date yet, Synapse will be putting out Tombs of the Blind Dead on Blu-ray, speaking of Amando Diasorio. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have contributed a commentary track to that as well, or one of two commentary tracks on that. Three. Uh, three, actually. Yeah. Uh, one of them involving uh, the one of the stars of the movie. Yeah. So I can't personally can't wait to hear That's that one fantastic. myself. I know. Me either. She's, she's a sweet lady. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to uh, hear Miss Lone Fleming talk mm-hmm. at length about that picture, especially with it playing in front of her, mm-hmm. thereby prompting specific memories. I think that will be fun. Uh, also, um, oh, wow, there was something else that's coming out. Oh, no, that's not true. Uh, for me, uh, Mr. Robert Monell and I did contribute a commentary track to another Jess Franco film, Black Boots Leather Whip, which is available right now over on Severin's website. I highly recommend the movie. It's from uh, 1983. It is this very... Uh, very fertile period of Jess Franco's career that's really been underseen in mm-hmm. general. A lot of those movies barely got released. Stuff, that kind of like early yeah. 80s stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80, 83. Just a yeah. lot of that stuff that he did. Yeah. And the more I see of them, the more impressed I am. I mean, he was doing them at such a clip. And yet, mm-hmm. especially I, Black, Black Boots, Leather Whip, just impressed the holy living hell out of me. I absolutely loved it. So it's one of those movies that... Um, there's a lot to talk about. That that mm-hmm. that's a, that's a fun commentary track. So that's uh, something else going on over there, and uh, well, that's all I know of right now. There's some things that are possibilities in the future down the mm-hmm. road, but that's all we can tell you about right now. Okay. So yes, yeah, so I had a little bit of tidbit here just to throw out to our our listeners that uh, might be of interest. At the time of our recording, the uh, recording this our. The latest issue of the Dark Side magazine, British horror magazine, is on the stands. And uh, by the time you hear this, it might not be, but it's issue number 217 if you want to track it down. And it has an interview with Helga Linné in it. Whoa, really? Yeah, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. it's just, you know, three, four-page interview. But heck, you know, with these people are disappearing on us so quickly, there's so few people left from that time, you know. And so uh, any chance that Nashy fans and fans of Spanish horror get to see any new words from... Uh, Anyone, especially someone as exalted as Helga Linné, uh, you don't want to pass it up. So just want to let you know it's issue 217 of The Dark Side. Uh, try and track it down if you can. And uh, without, she doesn't go into detail, but she doesn't she doesn't have a greatest opinion of the director that we're talking about tonight. So that's uh, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we we talked about that a little bit when, yeah. when we did uh, the commentary track for uh, Lorelai's Grasp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she uh, she had a lot of kind words for people like Paul Nash. Oh, she loved Paul Nash. Yeah, she loved Paul Nash. It, again and again, I, mm. did, I got so, there's something else we'll talk about later on when we talk about the film under discussion tonight. 
But every time there's an actress who gets interviewed talking about working with Paul Nashie, they all yeah. just seem yeah. to have really enjoyed working with him. He was, yeah. And I think a lot of that stems from what they seem to be saying from him being an actor first and a director yeah. second and yeah. being that kind of person who, who understood what an actor needed mm-hmm. to be able to get things done. Mm-hmm. And so I think that may play a lot into some of these actresses having really positive things to say about work, you know, to, to say uh, about Paul Nashie and working with him, uh, even when they kind of, you know, needle him a little yeah, bit sure. about, yeah. about certain things in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. It's always kind of, it's, 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 it's very interesting. It's, it's not something that, uh, I mean, it is one of those things where you think about the time period in which the, in which these movies are made, especially the period we spend so much time in the 1970s. And you think, man, talk about a time, as Helga Linnaeus said in past interviews, where it's like, yeah. well, let's just if you if you weren't willing to put up with a certain mm. amount of yeah. the ass grabbing and bullshit mm-hmm. from men, then mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't have been working in the industry in mm-hmm. the first place. And from her perspective, you needed to know that you should have known that walking mm-hmm. in the door. And that just points to her being a woman who mm-hmm. <laughs> knew herself, had control over herself, was a was a was a woman who took charge of her own career and her life and kind mm-hmm. of set her own boundaries. Whereas for a lot of other women, it might not yeah. have been, especially younger women, might yeah. not have had that kind of you know self-centered nature and could not necessarily have set those parameters for themselves and felt kind of, shall we say, uh, taken advantage of at different yeah. times. Well, hell, we read about Italian cinema at that time and sort of get the impression that there were some Italian producers who just sort of took it as granted that they were going to get to sleep with whatever star yeah. there was in whatever film they were producing there. So Yeah, yeah. well, sadly, that would appear to have uh, continued <laughs> yeah. on into the 21st century for yeah. some particular uh, yeah. producers. So. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, good to know. And, uh, man, a new interview with Helga Linnae. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad I... I I gotta go pick that up. You're right. I didn't realize it till I got. I actually grabbed the issue off the stands because I saw it has an article on Neary Publications in it oh, uh, cool. as well. That's why I got it without really even flipping through it. Didn't wait to get wait, wait, wait until I got home and start flipping through it. I was like, oh shit, Helga Lene interview too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's yeah. that's excellent. I wish uh, I wish they'd been able to uh, find a way to get her. Of course, there's so many people involved in these movies that are still around that I wish we could get uh, like. Feature-length interviews, mm-hmm. with, or even just you know, fifteen or sixteen, you know, fifteen yeah. or thirty-minute long interviews, with yeah. just to sit down and and just you know, ask questions and, and just get their responses. And is that I know that not everybody's going to be like Miss Lanay, who's mm-hmm. very open and always mm-hmm. has been very yeah. straightforward, you know, right. good, bad, and indifferent about mm-hmm. whatever the hell mm-hmm. you know went down in her career. She's just mm-hmm. really always been open about that. Any yeah. any review of, any interview I've ever read with her, uh, and, and I'm sure not everyone would be that way, but I would still like to. <laughs> I wish people were out there making more of an effort, and it's just like I'm not. I, I don't have that skill set. I really kind of wish that I, I did. Not, not to mention the connections. Holy crap! If you're listening, Julia Sally, <laughs> this is directed to you. The most obvious. Yeah, yeah. we're. I'm. You know, I'm sure we're not the only people no. to like no. be more than willing to do anything, go anywhere, just to just to no. have her sit down and have a conversation about her career. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. To set some things in place and to. To, mm-hmm. to nail down some specifics and to just get her impressions mm-hmm. of things that would be that would be absolutely astonishing that would be incredible and I so want to see speaking of her I so want to see the um, the Japanese it was either a Japanese film or TV series I think it was a film that she did with Paul Nashi that was you know that one during that time I forget the, the title doesn't immediately come to mind but it, you know we were teased about it in his uh, in his autobiography you know that when he was doing all those all that work with the Japanese and doing work for Japanese television that I believe there's maybe a TV movie that he made that he's in that that has Julia Sally in it too and I would love to to get my yep. hands on a copy of that yep yep, yep. well <clears throat> the internet giveth yeah, that's right that's right it does occasionally yeah. taketh away yes it but does 
it does giveth, and we should yeah. keep that in mind. Yes. So, folks, hang loose. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into a conversation about Night of the Sorcerers. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth podcast. The Projection Booth is single-handedly the greatest film podcast you could ever listen to or could possibly want. Top-notch. Five stars. This has quickly become one of my favorite film-related podcasts. Always interesting. A completely unpretentious yet fully comprehensive look at films from all genres. The Projection Booth Podcast, with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com. Three animated TV series, three animated feature films, over 50 years of stories, over 150 characters, 10 core comic book titles, 27 spin-off comic book titles, nearly 30 limited series spin-offs, and of course, four feature films. Well, okay, five if you count Captain America Civil War, or maybe it's like four and a half. The Avengers are a Marvel Comics mainstay, and no matter how many films crush it at the box office, or how many more Avengers spin-off titles come out, it all comes back to that original comic series that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby thrust upon the world in 1963. And I'm going to read the entire run. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm a recovering comic book fan. Over on my YouTube channel, Comicstalgia, you can join me as I make my way through the comic with my Reading the Avengers YouTube series. Every episode, I'll take a look at an issue of the comic, share my thoughts about the story, its artwork and characters, and reflect on how the issue may have impacted or inspired other facets and corners of all things Marvel. I'd like to invite you to join me as I make my way through every single issue of this iconic comic book. Assemble with me at tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers or look up Comicstalgia on YouTube where you can find all the previous episodes and even subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything while we're reading the Avengers. That's tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers. Nuff said. When Sambonia was just another European colony, the white man ordered an end to the practice of voodoo. But they continued the celebration secretly, you know. The Night of the Sorcerers. The witches of ten tribes and all those that uh, followed them were exterminated there at that clearing. The sorcerers. The altar of sacrifice. Here they cut the necks of the girls that had been chosen. But I always supposed what was sacrificed to the loa was a white bird. Have you ever heard of the Bulujaro ceremony of the devil of the jungle? No, nothing. The Night of the Sorcerers. Written and directed by Amando Diasorio. Apparently released sometime in December 1974 in mm. Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would have been trickling out mm. over the next year or two years into mm. drive-ins and mm-hmm. and hard tops all over the world. So Night of the Sorcerers. If you pick up the recent Blu-ray of the film from uh, Scream Factory, it's paired. It's a double feature disc. It also has L- the Lorelai's Grasp. With our commentary. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, uh, we did not do a commentary for this film because uh, the time crunch was such that we really only had time to do one. And we picked... Lorelai's Grasp because we we truly absolutely love that movie mm. and I'll be honest at the time I had not rewatched Night of the Sorcerers for a number of years it's a movie that I've first seen on a bootleg tape oh lord back in the 90s possibly the early 2000s I can't remember exactly mm. 
But I can remember it not overly impressing me at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember whatever version of it that I saw turned out to have been a little trimmed mm-hmm. or uh, weirdly edited in some way or fashion. Then it was released on DVD about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago by BCI. Yeah. As part of that lineup where some of the uh, some of the great Paul Nashie films also got released uh, along with the, the Dracula saga and a few other things like that. Now at that time, some... Uh, some corrections have been made to the print of this film, of Night of the Sorcerers, to get some of the day-for-night shots to look the way they really should look. And I have to admit that in one way that is unfortunate, this Blu-ray does not have those tinting corrections done to the day-for-night scenes. Yeah, because there's some jarring, uh, <laughs> some rather yeah. jarring contrast going on in this. Uh, it's not a good thing. No, uh, it's the kind of thing where he's like, "Oh, it's day, it's night, <laughs> it's, it's day, day, it's night, it's night." It's yeah, that's a correction that really should have been taken into consideration before this got released on Blu-ray. But that being said, it's really the only complaint that I can level against the presentation of the film here. And uh, who knows? Yeah, otherwise, it looks it looks great. I yeah, mean, it's a yeah. pure wise. Well, we should point out that it is uh, it is shown uh, Academy ratios, uh, and it's unmatted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, so essentially, if you're th- if you're thinking this is going to be a widescreen film, it is not. Right. Uh, it, this is the way the film was shot. If it were to be matted, it would it, we'd be chopping off some sometimes uh, really interesting and and necessary at times information mm-hmm. off the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. So that is the way the film should look. It happens sometimes, especially mm-hmm. in. Uh, mm-hmm. Low-budget filmmaking. Uh, yeah. This would have gone out and probably have been matted if you saw it uh, in, a, in, a, in a theater or drive-in or anything like that. It probably would have been matted to something like 185, 175. And eh, you'd have been in a drive-in. I don't know that you would have cared or noticed. Mm-hmm. But for the presentation here, like I say, I wish they'd, uh, they'd, they'd fix that day-for-night problem. Mm-hmm. But they did not. And this is far from the only film that has that particular kind of, uh, shall we say, flaw mm-hmm. in the presentation. And that's just the way we're going to have to deal with it. But I don't hold that against the movie. Yeah. There are things that I do hold against the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get into some of those. Sure. Um, when did you first catch up with this film? In preparation for, for this uh, show. Oh, yeah, I'd never really? seen it before. Oh, never okay, seen it. Okay. Yeah, because I never got... I missed that uh, BCI uh, release. And, and uh, so... so, And I, of course, got the... You know, when Lorelai's Grass came out, you know, but I, I kind of purposely... I knew at some point... By that point, I knew we were going to get around to it at some point. So that's kind of why I just held it back and decided I would wait. You know, so yeah, this was my first time to spin through it all together. Interesting. Yeah. Um, we should say that although this film seems to take... Pl- it supposedly takes place in Africa, mm-hmm. Bumbasa, Bumbasa, which is, by the way, a place that does not exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is a. But sounds. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah, it sounds. It sounds extraordinarily <laughs> African. Uh, in other words, yeah. you know, plug that into Google and it will think you're you're misspelling Mombasa. <laughs> right. That's because that, yeah, that's, the, yeah, yeah. that's all. That's all you will get. <laughs> but uh, of course, much like the uh, Spanish-made Tarzan movies of mm. the 1970s, mm. nobody shooting this movie ever left Spain. No. No. So. They're faking the the trip to the jungle just as well as they can, and sometimes it works, and sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah. it, 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 it it doesn't exactly uh, exude uh, the dark tropical uh, yes yeah, yeah yeah exactly they do they do manage I think they may have shot it in the proper 
in the uh, the proper time of year so that you don't mm. get that thing where the sun starts to go down and you start to be able to see people see people's breaths. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. It does seem in like it's, it seems like they're in a pretty warm cl- warm time of year, yeah. regardless. At least. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 It. Uh, I have it on. Uh, possible strong authority that it was shot in a safari park uh, somewhere near Madrid. <laughs> and then, of course, there were sets mm-hmm. built uh, mm-hmm. in, 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 a, in a studio there in Spain. And uh, I, I gotta say, one of the things that has always made Amanda de Soria's Blind Dead films so intriguing and entertaining, at least for me, is that he's always found ways in those four films to overcome budgetary hurdles with a lot of creativity and really just a lot of really creepy atmosphere. Unfortunately, in this movie, the the story he has set himself up to tell, this kind of jungle adventure story with horror overtones, doesn't really provide him with the kinds of things that he kind of leaned on in those Blind Dead mm-hmm. movies and in some of his other movies mm-hmm. that gave you the ability gave gave me the ability to really do a lot of atmospheric uh, dark, misty kind of uh, scene setting, mm-hmm. I guess would be the best yeah. way to put it. And so it feels almost as if if what he built his 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 horror movies on was kind of a, a three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. The sometimes one of those legs isn't there mm-hmm. and the, the stool gets a little wobbly. Yeah. And this movie is a lot of wobbly sometimes yeah. and pretty okay yeah. a good chunk of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's, but it's, it, it's what it, it is. Yeah, but you're right. It it is lacking atmos. You know, it's just a, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a it's hard to. He's trying to convey it and does, but it just doesn't work in the way that it does for in in, in Lorelai's grasp and in the Blind Dead films. And and a lot of it does have to do, I think, maybe with the setting and the materials he has to work with there. And yeah. and uh, one, I'm there's a rabbit hole you can really go down with this film. And and I'll try not to go too too much. I'll probably try not just to be too redundant with it but there are so many things in this film story-wise and and thought-wise you know idea-wise that you can tie back to his other films you know it's i mean so many kind of recycled or or same kind of themes yeah, and so many yeah. that he's trying to do in a different setting and then a lot of them don't quite work the way that they do in in some of the other films as as well as they do i would agree with that i mean let's start right from the very first here he starts off uh with and this, this—I'm not saying this doesn't necessarily work. I mean, it's just—but um, he's starting off with a flashback to a sacrifice, you know. So right. if he would sacrifice right there. You're, you're, in, you're kind of starting with the kind of blind dead sort of territory there. Correct. Um, so. it, it, it's, it's true. One of the things that I was going to bring up is what you're talking about there, which is that he kind of seems to have taken one of his standard story structures from one of the Blind Dead movies mm-hmm. and just grafted onto it a new, very yeah. different type of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, different location, di- mm-hmm. uh, different, uh, same kinds of characters. Let's, I was going to say, it's very much let's the... Be, let's be clear about that. character dynamics are very much uh, Arsario yeah. and... Arsario and... Is that what we were? Arsario. Arsario. How would you say that? I'm Arsario. trying to think. Arsarian. Something like that. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, very, we gotta, very much... We gotta, we gotta work on that. I hadn't thought about that but you're right i mean that's yeah. a good way to put it yeah. there's a there's a uh, character dynamic and a mm-hmm. vibe to the mm-hmm. character interactions mm-hmm. that are typical of an osorio script yeah that uh you can see play across mm-hmm. all of his movies mm-hmm. and the uh the the joys it, it, it's it's like listening to a really good guitarist play mm-hmm. different songs mm-hmm. 
that are this you know in the same genre. It's really fun to hear the variations and to see them being creative in uh, the same range that you already enjoy. And that's kind of what this can feel like if if it hits you at the right if it hits you in the right way. Yeah. Of course, some of the problems with that structure kind of creep in as well, mm-hmm. which is that if and this can happen in the Blind Dead movies too. If the if the story gives you enough time to think too hard mm-hmm. about some of the ways in which characters are acting and things are being done, <laughs> yeah. then you will really start to be able to see the plot mechanics mm-hmm. ball faced. You'll be able to understand exactly why this piece is in this place yeah. and why that thing is going to happen next. Yeah. But also, I mean, we're talking about a horror movie. We're talking about a monster movie one way or the other. And that's yeah. kind of part and parcel of the genre. So if you're going to complain about that or well, that's yeah. something that you're going to dislike, yeah. th- those are the things that... Well, again, in, in you know, what comes off in the Blind Dead films as, you know, atmospheric and engrossing, you know, and, and really visually stunning in this film feels more like when he tries the same thing in this film comes off more like padding at times, you know. And, Agreed. And, yeah. Agreed. It's a little tedious. Because it's not visually involving you in the way that the Blind Dead films do. Correct. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, in this film, uh, in a Blind Dead movie, uh, slow-mo uh, supernatural creatures mm-hmm. stalking, mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they're creepy as hell. They're, they're, they're terrifying. Mm-hmm. In this film, to, you know, undead, mm-hmm. possibly vampiric, although it's never wear explained, leopards, demonic, wear leopards. Yeah. You know, slow motion stalking through mm-hmm. the jungle for longer than you really ought yeah. to be watching them. Because I'm sitting there thinking, like, they're wear leopards. Shouldn't they actually be like really, really fast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's just like, <laughs> I know that you know, I know that we're not going to get any kind of you know cool transformation. Although I, I, I'm upset that they didn't try that they, mm. they didn't take a shot at it with you know with lap dissolves or with mm. something that mm. could have been done in camera that would have kind of added uh, a different element visually to his normal mm-hmm. bag of tricks. But, um, yes, yeah, so he leans a little heavy on the slow-mo here, and it and it's uh, it goes from being, oh, interesting, to, okay, we got it, mm-hmm. to, yeah. Yeah. okay, dude, yeah. really, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the runtime seems okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need to speed it up now. We need, to, we, need to get, yeah. we need to get where we're going with these two characters and have some shit go down. Let's go. Yeah. But that is a con- we'll 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 talk about mm. that as we uh, as we go along. Um, <laughs> okay. While we're on the subject of uh, things, what didn't wake mm-hmm. for us in the film? Yeah. You want another thing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Besides some of the uh, some of the plot mechanics that I mm. find hilarious, mm-hmm. that like I say are just part and parcel of a horror film. So mm. you got to ride with them, but we'll talk about them yeah. anyway. The the one shot in the movie, the one shot. And you'd think it would be like some of the stock footage of animals or something like that, trying, trying to convince you that you're in Africa, but it's not. The one shot in the movie that I swear to you reduces me to giggles. Uh, I, I rewatched it a second time this week, last night, just just on my own, going through it real quick to kind of kind of cement some certain images in my head. And I got to tell you, the 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 moment when Jack Taylor looks through the binoculars at the nearby African village. Which is so obviously <laughs> the, the, the a little shitty match, little model, the little, like, yeah, railroad train, model train kind of village. Yes. Yeah, it's just like so. Okay, so that's the only shot we're going to get of this yeah. to try to convince us that somewhere nearby oh. there's a there's a there's a there's some huts that's supposed yeah. to be a village. <laughs> it's the yeah. least convincing. It's like couldn't you have found 
some stock footage of an African village and inserted that because that <laughs> yeah. is the worst. I mean, that, I'm sorry. That that one cracks me up. Well, okay. Yeah, I'll take that even further and go with the, just the whole the whole use of the stock footage altogether. Okay, I want to ask you, like, do you think you had to have? Okay, we get that. We get this beginning with the voodoo. You know, get right. the voodoo, set in nineteen. 19- 1910, yeah. They all come and gun down the after they've, you know, created one of their wear leopard women, you know, and then they they the British soldiers come in for queen and country, gun down the the voodoo practitioners and all and then we suddenly jump to these jeeps arriving, you know, with, with people apparently getting all these scenes of all this stock footage African you know, all these animals, you know, running around. Like yeah. you like we always do in these films. Do you think that you would have had to have had that those footage of those animals to figure out that we were still in the same location, and then when your cast gets out and they're all dressed in the height of seventies, <laughs> big game hunter mod, you know, chic? Do you think you would have had to have had anything to tell you, like you know, that hey, we're in the same location and we've jumped ahead to modern day? Yeah, we've jumped ahead fifty years. Yeah, did we need even the caption that said? present or something do we really even 60 need, years yeah, actually yeah. Maybe the 70s it's like so do we really you know don't you think you would have figured that out without having to insert the draft running here and you know to kind of <laughs> i would like to think as well, viewers were astute enough that we really don't necessarily have to to have that i can't i can't knock the filmmakers mm-hmm. i can't knock asorio mm-hmm. for the idea of using the stock footage of the jungle animals mm-hmm. the african creatures the shots mm-hmm. of the veldt with you know mm-hmm. giraffes and like to to establish it because you kind of, I think you really kind of got to do something to establish some form of basic reality of being mm-hmm. in a, mm-hmm. of being in mm-hmm. Africa. I think you mm-hmm. kind of have to do that. And it's the, it's, I mean, they've been mm-hmm. doing it. Oh, been, I know. It's, it's a million films that have days. done it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and, it, and it, you're not, you know, it's, it's the cheap, it's the easy, it's <laughs> the thing. But to be honest, I don't hold that against mm-hmm. any any movie of that type unless the footage is just just egregiously poorly matched. Yeah. To well, well, we've seen footage. that, and we've also seen before. You know, I forget what the film it was that where the animal that which showed an animal that did not belong in that region yes. whatsoever. Uh, it's like it was a, a moose. Moose. I think it was like a moose that yeah, just it was like, like a clearly Canadian moose. That <laughs> yeah, was and it's like, supposed to be just, the darkest Africa. Yeah, just like, hanging yeah. out in Africa. It's like how the fuck God, do you I get there? What film that was? Was there but, uh, was there a moose immigration <laughs> project that I was unaware of? Did we like send some over there and trade? For some giraffes, I don't understand. I mean, yeah, that was—I don't even remember what the hell movie that was. Yeah. But I would love, I'd love to watch it again just for that shot. Well, but, one one thing we cannot complain about, though, are the are the the actual passengers that jump out of these jeeps because no. they are always a it is a joy of for all European you know Spanish horror fans to see these familiar faces, people yep. we love. Let's oh, okay. let's let's talk yeah. a bit about the cast before we yeah. get into uh, going through a plot synopsis. Mm-hmm. I am going to start where all such things should start. Mm-hmm. Jack Taylor. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> because the venerable Jack Taylor, the mighty, <laughs> the mighty wooden Indian. I do, love, <laughs> like, I, do I love Jack Taylor. Is that his emotive? He's at his emotive best in this one. <laughs> He's. I mean, he he is he is like a number one at cutting his eyes in this movie. He's yeah, like he he's like yeah, really yeah. getting a lot a, yeah. a lot across. Mm-hmm. There's that scene where the uh, the guy comes up and uh, asks to see the mm. the great white hunter's mm. rifle, mm. and there's that close up of Jack as he looks back and forth like I'm not I don't know if I should say anything here, <laughs> but I don't know that that's a good idea. <laughs> and then they cut to the they cut to the three shot of the three of them with Jack yeah. in the center, and he's still cutting his eyes back and forth like, and, and I was like, yes, yes, he did. Perfect. <laughs> Fucking perfect. I God. I, okay, Jack Taylor. People, if you're unaware of who Jack Taylor is, and if you, mm. and if you well, if you watched, I'd say 
five year trash films from the 70s yeah. you've seen Jack yeah. Taylor that's just the way it is uh, he was an American actor who did the vast majority of his work in Europe he, he based himself in Spain starting in uh, the late 60s he worked with who man everybody a uh, lot of Jess Franco films uh, starting with Succubus and Eugenia the story of her, her journey into perversion played Quincy Morris in uh, Franco's uh, version of Count Dracula with uh, Christopher Lee and Herbert Long and then uh uh, very famously, <laughs> that it's let, let's say he was in the softcore version of, of Jess Franco's film Female Vampire with Lena Romay, but I gotta be honest, I'm mm. pretty sure I've seen him involved in the hardcore segments as well. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'd have to go back and rewatch. I don't remember for sure, but you know, hey, <laughs> I bet he doesn't move anymore in those either. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. <laughs> If you were going to pay me to have sex with Lena Romay in the early 70s, hey, yeah. the charge would be very small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. But, mm-hmm. of course, we have talked about Jack Taylor on this show several times. He was in uh, Dr. Jekyll and the and the Werewolf and mm-hmm. uh, for Nashie, and also The Mummy's Revenge yep. for Nashie. worked with uh, Osorio in several films, including the third Blind Dead movie, The Ghost Galleon, and uh, also in uh, his last movie in 1985, The Sea Serpent. He was also in Leon Komofsky's Vampire's Night Orgy. He was in uh, he was in God Save Us. Talking about films we've talked about here, he was in uh, Pieces. Oh yeah, the, sure the, was the mind bending film uh, that 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 we all know and love. And he worked for Jose Larraz in uh, a couple of his last movies, Rest in Pieces and uh, Edge of the Axe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of those guys who was in so damned many movies that it's it's hard to like I say if you've seen mm-hmm. five year occult year occult films from yeah. from the 1970s you've probably seen him the list is insane uh, the killer is one of 13 he was mm-hmm. he was in uh, autopsy mm-hmm. uh, tender perverse Emanuel that's another Jess Franco film oh man he oh hey come to think of it he had a small role as a gay character in Conan the Barbarian oh yeah uh Oh. He was in uh, Polanski's The Ninth Gate, right? Yeah, yeah, he had a great. He was a great, yeah. he had a great little, little scene in The Ninth Gate. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, he had a role in Ridley Scott's 1492. Yeah, he was just in <laughs> something for you. Uh, you may, may have been the first film you saw him in, uh, Custer of the West. Yes, that's right. It sure was. Sure was in that. Yeah, <laughs> that weird, that weird double feature the feature that, with Godzilla versus the Smog Monster of all things that I saw. <laughs> that's just the weirdest freaking thing. <laughs> But Jack Taylor is uh, somebody who, as, as soon as I see his name in the cast list, it's like, well, I'm going to have fun at least a little bit, mm-hmm. even in something as, as silly as like Panther Squad yeah. from the from the mid '80s. There, so Jack Taylor, uh, I would say that he's uh, he's, uh, he's he's kind of the lead actor in a way, but he's really kind of a co male yeah. lead yeah. in this. Coupled uh, because he, because he, he works side by side with uh, an actor named. Uh, Simon Andrew, he's a Spanish actor who, uh, by the way, is still working. He's in. He's he's got a role in the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is filmed. Which is just yeah, come that's out. right. It literally it has. My gosh. So he, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. He's been. Yeah, I mean, he's as far as I can tell, not stopped working ever. No, <laughs> he really hasn't. He may have slowed down, but that's really about it. I mean, he was in Beyond Reanimator for God's mm. sake. Die another day. He was yeah, the, the the one of the crappiest mm. one of the crappiest of Pierce Brosnan's Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Die Another Day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's just one of those guys who was in a lot, a lot of, 
a lot of films. And uh, I got to admit, this may have been the first film that I ever saw him in and paid any attention to because, of course, you know, I like European trash cinema. So mm-hmm. what else am I gonna? Mm-hmm. What else am I gonna see him in? Oh, he was in Flesh and Blood yeah, for, for yeah, Verhoeven as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He just. Like I say, it, it, it's really it was a real surprise for me to realize just how many movies I had seen this guy in. Uh, he's in The Killer is one of 13 as well. And it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, so this guy's career is so incredibly long and so uh, so varied. I mean, he was the quote-unquote husband in The Blood Spattered Bride, if you want to talk about classic Spanish uh, genre film. Yeah. I mean, he's the, he's, the, he's the male, he's like the male lead in that. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, 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 that is him. I completely, you know, it's just one of those things that just slides right out of your head for no good reason whatsoever and really shouldn't. He's exactly right for this role, mm-hmm. even though the role in, in standard Amando D'Asorio mm-hmm. fashion is uh, somebody that you don't particularly like. He's not a, right. he's not a scumbag. No. He's not, he's not, right. a, he's not a, a bad person, mm-hmm. but he's a person where, uh, well, let's just put it this way. Don't put this guy on guard duty. <laughs> right. <laughs> because he's just going to have sex. Yeah. And he's not going to guard shit. Right. Yeah. He does it in this film twice. Yes. And, yeah, and when, when anyone walks away from the camp towards a certain death, he just will be looking the other way and not notice him. Yep, yep, yep. Well, I mean, you know, his eyes are somewhere else. Yes. They, and it would be hard to argue that his eyes I, probably, I mean, not. I would be distracted too. Let's put it that way. Let, let he who yeah. is not in a glass house yeah. throw the first stone. <laughs> right. All right, let's yeah. just be clear. <laughs> but um, he's quite good. But of course, one of the reasons that most people will come to this film is because of the incredibly beautiful ladies who mm-hmm. are in this movie, and mm-hmm. it is packed with them. Let's, yes, it is. let's be honest. There are four absolutely gorgeous ladies in this movie who mm-hmm. do their damnedest to uh, enliven. Mm-hmm. This story, mm-hmm. uh, in, in any any which way they can. I mean, yeah. I'm kind of impressed with the the lengths to which, mm-hmm. especially a couple of them, went to mm-hmm. to just act out some completely crazy scenarios. Yeah, uh, and of course, <laughs> I'm talking about dressing up like a leopard demon. Yeah, <laughs> and running around in, in slow motion. Yeah. Through uh, you know a fake African jungle. Yeah, and then there's always the having sex on gravel, you know, thing too that oh, the Europeans yeah. seem to, to love. That. They just seem to find like the most uncomfortable places to lie down and have sex. We we'll have sex on gravel, and we're going to have sex in this, you know, in the Amazon here with you know. With, well, you know with darling, we're, we're in the jungle, so gravel is the most uncomfortable thing. I couldn't find a parking lot covered with glass. Yeah. <laughs> well, as I said, let's let's talk a little bit about the the, the actresses in the film real quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, uh, only available to to view in uh, <laughs> in certain ways uh, is uh, Barbara King or Barbara Ray mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, R E Y, uh, an actress that uh, we've seen in uh, Ghost Galleon and Lorelai's Grasp. Uh, she worked for uh, for Javier Aguirre and Jose Larraz. She was nude a lot. She was yeah. well known as an actress who leaned heavily into. Nude roles once uh, the, the, she was a distop actor, one mm. of, uh, actress, or one of, one of those women who uh, made a career in the late seventies when suddenly you could actually show nudity mm-hmm. in Spain on the big screen. So she was naked a lot, mm-hmm. and that is uh, that's understandable when you look like her. Let's yeah. be honest; if they're going to pay you to be nude on screen, mm-hmm. she's she's someone who leaned into it, and she she's definitely there. Of course, she's only really playing a character. <laughs> 
I don't think yeah. she has any actual dialogue that isn't screaming or, yeah. or begging for, for or hissing mercy. or just, yeah. And then later, later, yeah, later hissing, hissing, and, I guess, yeah, I, yeah. you know, um, you're right. She, Cause she is our opening sacrifice. Correct. Correct. She is the, the woman who is a uh, whipped rather uncomfortable. They're trying to insinuate that she's being raped. I think, which yeah, is tied between so, the trees. Yeah, it, 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 that's yeah, kind I, of the I think that's what they're trying to show, but it's so oddly filmed that it, yeah. I mean, it could be done. Yeah. From the angle we're talking yeah. about there, but it seems like there's like I mean, if you're going to rape a woman, at least have the the respect to lay her down for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that may be the most misogynistic thing that I've was, said in yeah, like that... years. <laughs> be courteous enough to the women that you rape, okay? Yeah. Yes, yeah, right. Well, so she's whipped and raped, and then yeah, I don't think she has any dialogue in the movie. No. I mean, I, I, I would have to go back. Of course, the, the Blu-ray luckily has both the English dub, which is the second best way to see the film, I think, <laughs> yeah. and the uh, kind of the Spanish dub as well. I highly recommend watching it in Spanish with the English subtitles because it's a slightly better experience if you're trying to watch the film and not feel as if someone is missing is, is missing the boat on uh, getting the dialogue just right. Because mm. the English dub, you know, the thing about an English dub is that often there are corners cut to make, uh, to kind of scrunch down dialogue or extend dialogue to make uh, the, the what's being said in one language extend out far enough so that it kind of fits the, the mouth movements mm-hmm. of the actors as they speak whatever language that they're actually speaking when they film the shot. And so the English dub, sometimes it can be done well enough that it doesn't matter. In this, the English dub at times is a little clumsier than it should be, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I would recommend just watching the Spanish version yeah. with the subtitles on. It's a better experience. Mm-hmm. But the film, let's be honest, the film is kind of freaking wacky. <laughs> so let's start with this voodoo ritual. I mean, let's just let's outline this, okay? The yes. voodoo practitioners, what you do in this ritual, you you dance around a little bit. You get a, I guess, a white woman captive. You maybe rape her or maybe just hug her hug her hug her fiercely hug her really hard I don't know oh and you have to remove her clothes with a whip I'm not sure how they managed to I, I don't know, think a whip was a big okay. part of voodoo rituals but I, it is a European in this Eurohara is going to find a way to work a whip in I mean it's let's you know it's, it's, well, that, it's that, that does we see we see this ceremony a couple of times in the movie and in each yeah. case it's like first the woman has mm. to be tenderized mm. yes there you go we've got yeah. to we've yeah. got to we've, yeah. got to we've got to scar her flesh with a whip I don't, yeah. I don't know and like see in a I was just disappointed that a little dwarf native didn't come out to do it. Though. That's what would have made it perfect there. Oh, God, you're right. Or if they if they did it right, they, they don't do it at the beginning of the film, but then later on they actually do have it be, have it be a woman who's doing the whipping. Oh, right, right. So you okay. get those kind of lesbian yeah, you get that going. Too, yeah. You get that worked up into a frenzy. Right. So, well, here the, here's the thing: is like in a, in a in a movie with a. With a slightly better script, yeah. we would have uh, we would have uh, been led to understand that first the first the the sacrifice must mm-hmm. be made to feel lots and lots of physical pain. Yeah. In other words, this would be mm-hmm. worked into a a reason. Yeah. Would be given. This would mm-hmm. be worked into how the ritual is carried out. As if it opposed was a Paul to Nashi a, family, they would have at least at some point had somebody read this out. You know, here yeah, are the steps. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, they would have that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just under the light of the full moon. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> when covered in peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
after a good pedicure, <laughs> one must then yeah. whip the flesh from the spine. Right. Only the spine. Mm. You know, so it takes yeah. a really good whipper. I don't know. It, it, we, we, oh God, this is getting this is getting out of control. Now, apply the mayonnaise to the wounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Boy, well, nine tana leaves. No, wait, wait. That's oh, a different one. That's a different one. Nine, yes, nine tana leaves. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Apply the tana leaves to the wound. Oh, I'm going to get on track. I swear to God. So, this movie opens in Africa in 1910 in a, a kind of a kind of clearing. We get the, the natives wearing all sorts of African masks. We got uh, women and men. They bring it. They bring in this woman. It's Bar, it's Barbara Ray, tie her up, whip her bloody. Also, of course, you know, stripping her nude at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of expect that, right? We see while this is going on, intercut footage of British military troops approaching the area. Obviously, they are in search of this mm-hmm. woman who has been grabbed and brought here, right? This is where the this is the these are the scenes those are the scenes with the the, the soldiers the British soldiers that needed to be tinted blue or something right yeah because they don't yeah. match the yeah. footage uh, this is supposed to be happening at night and the stuff that was shot with the soldiers is obviously not shot at night mm. and that is that is a thing that when you start off your movie having your audience have to kind of give the film something already yeah. kind of you know, kind of like oh, okay I'll whatever I'll overlook this flaw mm. Mm. it's like eh, you probably shouldn't have started with asking your audience that 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 shouldn't have been done after poor Barbara Ray has been has been whipped and apparently raped they haul her over to this stone altar mm-hmm. uh, lay her down face first and then of course if you're watching this movie for the first time you've got to be thinking to yourself well I guess a soldier's going to show up yeah, and rescue her you're expecting that yeah you're wrong no no <laughs> no 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 a woman and this was intriguing and I thought that they would carry this through the rest of the movie but they do not it's one of the uh, African women who actually takes the machete to her and cuts her head off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they decapitate her, and the blood goes, goes down over the, uh, the little sluice there on mm-hmm. the, the stone altar. And uh, they run over and dab their hands into mm-hmm. her blood and rub it all over themselves. And by the way, the fake head shatters on the way down. And, and yet it Oh, it's better than that. I still framed through that segment. Oh, did you? Yeah, if you still, folks, if you want a little extra entertainment, yeah, <laughs> go frame by frame through the decapitation of this head, <laughs> and you will see that uh, the where the where the machete blade strikes the neck is not where the cut is. That's your first. That's your first moment of humor. Yeah, and then the thing that I was pretty sure I could see it at regular speed and in slow mo, frame by frame, you can definitely see, which is that. The head is this hollow thing that that a little cylindrical piece pops out of yeah. that for all in the world is like it should have just been a Coke can. I swear to God, it wasn't. It wasn't a Coke can. It's just the size and shape of a Coke can that pops out, and then they cut away as as, as quickly as they can. But uh, yes, it's. Uh, but- it's, yeah. it's, it's a poor special effect that they yeah. knew was poor, and so they, they edited it as quickly as well as they could. Mm. But, of course, now in this day and age, yeah. freeze-framing through segments is, <laughs> is, is a snap, and uh, it's just another little extra bit of uh, accidental entertainment for, for yeah. your Blu-ray dollar. When I saw it, I thought, yeah, well, first of all, I was like, did that do it? I just think it did. you know. And I never I never took it frame by frame, but I'd even watch it regular speed. I could tell that head just broke on the way down. And then, like, <laughs> you know, that's and, and I love the fact that I guess Amando just didn't have enough budget to make another one. And so they just like, leave it in, leave it in the cut. Leave it in and go. <laughs> 
But yeah, I don't think I don't think Amado Diasorio ever had a decent budget. I think that he no, had no. on some he had more than others, yeah. but he never had the the kind of budget that would have allowed for a whole lot of <laughs> let's just say a, a whole lot of uh, retakes or, mm-hmm. or extra mm-hmm. shots at certain special effects sequences or anything like that. That's just that's just not there. So uh, at this point, the soldiers finally arrive and they shoot all these people down, kill them, and then at that point, telling you right off the bat, just in the just in this prologue segment, that this movie is going to be a wackadoodle thing. Oh yeah, by our last scene. <laughs> The woman's head jumps up of its own accord, swings around, <laughs> oriented toward the camera, hisses at the audience, and reveals big old vampire fangs. <laughs> this is just one of those, man, you either go with this or you <laughs> or you hate it. You know, yeah. it's like you I mean, this is your point. This is telling you rally on is 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 okay, you gotta you can jump on the train here. <laughs> or get or off. Or you could just yeah, yeah exactly get because because yeah, are you going for this ride? Are you going for this ride? Because <laughs> this, this, this is the, this is when we're going to ask for your ticket right here. Yeah. We're asking for your ticket because there's on. so much that's so wrong about this last <laughs> shot. How badly it was. I mean, the concept. How, yeah. how I mean, if you're going to do that, they should have just had them all look down at the head, and the head is kind of over on its maybe its back with its face looking up, and then it hisses up at them. But the fact that the head writes itself, you know, moves and then itself, it rotates and, jumps, and rotates yeah. and. And now it could also be it's it's very unexpected. I mean, it could be, it was probably a good jumps. You know, it might have been a good jump shock or something. I mean, if I had seen this, one, I wish this film had played when I was little on you know late night when some of the Spanish horror films did kind of make the rounds. Even in a cut version, you know that scene. You know, you guys only got a, a vampire head out of nowhere. I mean, I would have been totally, <laughs> I would have been totally with it. But yeah, to me, it's just every time that happens, I just have to laugh and just think like, man, well, and, and the thing it's is, a crazy we, idea. We, we can call them vampire heads, and, and there is a lot of neck biting and, and apparent blood sucking, but I think they're demons. Yeah, they're no, you're right, yeah, and, and yeah, you're right. They're not supposed to be vampires. It's confusing, Essent- which is a little confusing yeah. in that essentially they're vampires is wearing leopard print, you know, bikinis. But in, in context of the story, no, they're they're not supposed to be vampires. You're they're right, leopard demons. Leopard demons. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which is once again. Interesting he's, idea. He's trying to create something new, just yeah. like he kind of did with right with the, with his other creatures, with the Loreline, with you know taking things from past. He's trying to kind of take right voodoo ideas and African ideas and then make something new of it. So I appreciate that you know that he's trying to do that. I like seeing him be creative again yeah. because, like yeah. I say, I consider the the Blind Dead mm-hmm. a, a, a phenomenal like no. a, a phenomenal yeah. achievement in, in creating yeah. a new monster. And I think that what he did with Lorelai's grasp was genius. I yeah. think what he did there with the Lorelai just yeah. that's is an incredible achievement. I think what he did there he he was he was able to take that take take an old idea, mm-hmm. reinterpret it, and create a a, a European exploitation film mm-hmm. brilliantly. And yeah, you're right. He's trying to do it again here, mm-hmm. and it's just barely working some of the time. Yeah. The rest of the time, it's not working at all. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it is, I can't tell if he had a good enough handle on the mythology or the 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 kind of jungle tale that he was trying to kind of interpret and twist to his own ends. I don't know that either there was enough meat for him to really dig his teeth into to use because in the Lorelai's grasp mm-hmm. there's a lot there that he's pulling from a lot yeah, he's yeah, pulling from yeah. and so there's all this oh, detail yeah. that he's able to weave into mm-hmm. the story 
Same with the blind dead. All these dead. Wagner ring cycle stuff, right. you know, from the operas and all this that he's pulling in. And with the blind dead, he's got he's got all of that Knights Templar stuff, yeah. all of this stuff that he keeps pulling from, and then he weaves mm-hmm. in, you know, by, by by the time you get into the, to the rest of the blind dead movies, he's weaving in Lovecraftian ideas. There's mm-hmm. all this stuff he's pulling into it. In this, it's almost I don't know if it just there wasn't enough for him to dig into that he found interesting, or it, he didn't have time to do the research. That would have well, made it a meteor kind of creature, a meteor kind of you know story that you can feel there'd be some kind of mythological basis behind it. Something that would make it feel, you know, <clears throat> less thin <throat> because it really feels thin. It feels as if it feels like a yeah. a kind of halfway thought out idea that really needed a lot of work. Yeah, I, I think there's a problem with the idea he took on was one that he could not elaborate on effectively without the budget, uh, the means to do it. Because I'm sitting there, when I'm thinking of this idea, and I'm thinking of ways that it could have been much more effective. Because the idea is that these women, by the way, these weird leopards, whatever, that they're during the day that they're leopards. Right. Okay. We only get one shot early on in the screen film of an actual leopard. leopard. If, and the thing is, you know, is working with animals in film is incredibly expensive. He probably could not have gotten the wrangling of actual leopards to have used, no. or not very much. I would have loved to have been able to have them to have been able to elaborate on that idea of them being leopards during the day and actually somehow incorporate a little footage of, of the idea that the leopards are hanging around the camp and that are, are watching them and see he tries to do that once and it really doesn't work because well, he's using fake leopard heads. Yeah, he is. And see, it's, he tries to do that, and it's just so it's an idea that it's just hard to pull off with what he had to work with. It could it's have a, it's been a, it's a budgetary constraint. Yeah, it it's, could have been very a, effective, a, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a definite it's a definite problem with, of not having enough money to be able to do the things because to establish the kinds of things that he was so capable of doing in these other storylines mm-hmm. would have been. It prohibitively expensive in the story that he's yeah. trying to tell. Yeah, and and like like the first time it shows these fake leopard heads that are supposed to be. I actually my first viewing through, I actually thought that it was supposed to be was going to be natives wearing wearing a leopard head. Yeah, and it wasn't until the second viewing, you know, seen again, realized oh that was supposed to actually be real leopards, and it's really not very you know it's not, not very convincing. So you know, so yeah, I mean that's I think one of the inherent problems with what he's trying to pull off here. I agree. I agree. How's the development going? Fine. Got the picture of the sacrificial altar to illustrate the legend of the witches. What a sinister spot. Yeah, almost too sinister to be authentic. What's your idea? Tomoka has a thriving business organized here. Maybe our nosing around disturbs him. You think the legend's an invention to frighten us away? What else could it be? You've got something. We're not taking any chances. We'll have to set up a guard till we leave. Good thing. We'll split the watch between us. Okay, I'll start right now. I'll wake up when it's your turn. Good deal. Okay, so as soon as the uh, the decapitated head turns, we smash yeah. cut yeah. to modern day. Yeah, near the same location in uh, fake Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we have the jeeps drive up, and this is where we were introduced to mm-hmm. uh, our our characters for the rest of the film, which involved mm-hmm. Jack Taylor, who we've already mm-hmm. talked about, and our mm-hmm. great love for for Jack Taylor, of course. Which everyone listening to us should have you a, should, a, yeah. a, an equal amount Show of them. love for Jack Taylor that we do. Yeah, if you do not. You need to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself why. Yes. It's a failing. Yes, it is. It's, uh, you have not studied the scriptures well enough. (laughs) You need to delve into them and to see where your lack lies. Okay? Now, moving on from the mighty Jack Taylor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
it's modern day, so we got a small party conducting an expedition into quote unquote darkest Africa. Mm-hmm. They're there to study, do some kind of study, some yeah, vague like a documentary study about, about missing about animals going endangered extinct or species, endangered, endangered species. species. Yeah, yeah, which in the in the seventies, this is when we started to really start to get mm-hmm. get a handle on mm-hmm. the idea that mm-hmm. we were starting to kind of outpace the ability of certain uh, creatures, certain. Uh, Flora, flora and fauna, really, to kind of put up with our shit. And so, eh, timely, once again, it's one of those kinds of things that Amanda Diasoria would have kind of folded naturally into one of his stories. Makes sense. Sounds mm-hmm. good. Well, of course, they uh, they set up shop here next to this little stream. Going to camp there overnight and move on the next day. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know. We're staying here the rest of the movie. Yes, yes. We <laughs> found our location. Yeah. <laughs> this is our location. Yeah. We're going to be here for a while. <laughs> don't get you know. Don't, don't, don't think they're going to break down these tents that they're setting up anytime. <laughs> this is where I have to have to lodge a, a minor a minor complaint that's very personal, which is that uh, Simon Andrew's uh, character's name is Rod. Oh yes, it is. It is. Uh, It's what you call all cads and bounders. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's, I mean, all he, all he does is, is not guard well. Yeah, that's right. Has sex with Uh, one of the women, mm -hmm. the the most jealous of the women. Yeah. And let's be honest. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's drop dead gorgeous. I get it. But at the same time, dude, you're supposed to be, you're you're like the hunter guy. You're there for security and protection. Why aren't you? Why can't you even think about doing your job? I don't understand. It's like, ah, oh, jeez. It's and, funny because this was paired on this Blu-ray with Lorelai's grasp, and I remember thinking, watching it, saying, "I'm really actually surprised Osario didn't just cast." Oh, the same actor from Lorelai's grasp who plays the big game hunter in yeah. that, but but they are very different in the sense that he actually takes his job seriously. Yeah. Whereas this guy's just like apparently they're just for the tail, and and you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> Pretty much right there. Let's be on. Well, uh, once uh, once they're setting up sh- setting up everything, they're 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 visited by. Uh, oh well, we should we should we should spell it out. Mm-hmm. The the two men. Uh, it's Jonathan Grant, which is uh, Jack Taylor's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. He he's the he's the uh, he's the guy who's kind of in charge of this mm-hmm. expedition. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, they call him wife, professor, although he never really does anything professorial. Yeah, or, yeah but, no, I don't know why they do that. Uh, and then we have uh, the, the great white hunter whose name is Rod. Mm-hmm. And then we have the three women. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they have a tendency to not wear much in the way of clothing. No, this is, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> means that there must be some wonderful insect repellent around. <laughs> I was thinking that too. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm, kind of imp- I'm kind of impressed with the, the level of insect repellent that <laughs> must be at work here. <laughs> Two of the women are blondes, mm-hmm. and one is is kind of a kind of a redhead. She's mm-hmm. kind of darker haired, but mm-hmm. not black haired. Uh, and what we have here is um, three absolutely gorgeous ladies who we've seen in a lot of other yes, films. Yes, we have. Let's start with one of them uh, is my very one of my is one of my very favorite actresses. Oh, from, Maria Costi. Yes, I love Maria Costi. Maria Costi. We have seen her in so many movies. First mm-hmm. of all, for Nashi, she, she she was in Dragonfly for each corp. Uh, Dragonfly for each corpse, uh, Exorcismo, Vengeance of the Zombies, Disco Rojo. Uh, she has been in. She was in the Dracula Saga, which we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, Amanda de Osorio, not only this film, but uh, the last of the Blind Dead films, Night mm-hmm. of the Seagulls, and then also uh, Demon Witch Child. Mm-hmm. 
her list of credits is is long and luxurious. She is she's just one of those ladies who uh, uh, I really enjoy seeing, and, and it is interesting because it does appear that Osorio may have been the first guy to actually kind of give her a bit of a lead role in yeah. Night of the Seagulls. Right. She's yeah. The, she's yeah. She the usually didn't get the female lead in most films. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's usually a supporting player, like <laughs> she is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that there's this great interview with her that I stumbled across. Uh, where uh, she was asked about working with Osorio, and I uh, said she she said that uh, while making this particular film, uh, Osorio was a has always been described as a guy who was uh, not that great with the actors. He didn't really have a good way of, of communicating effectively with actors, so actors were kind of on their own or mm-hmm. kind of had to huddle together to kind of figure out certain things on their own because he was more of a technician than he was a, an actor's director. So. By the time she did this movie with him, um, he was still the kind of director who would ask actors to do things to kind that that probably shouldn't be asked, and not dangerous things. But for instance, uh, there's when setting a particular scene, setting up a particular scene, he had laid out uh, tracks because he was doing a, a shot where uh, the camera was on tracks so he could move the camera within the scene as they shot it for a more dynamic image. Of course, this makes the mm-hmm. this makes the this makes the film more interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. But the way he'd laid the tracks out, uh, she was going to have to, as she walked across the, the while the scene played, she was going to have to walk across and step. And he said, you're going to have to step over the tracks that the camera run, yeah. runs on. And she said, uh, "You need." To do, he said, you need to do this in a way that won't be noticed, so it won't look like you're stepping yeah. over the tracks. And she, she told him yeah. before they tried this, he said, it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 just do that. So she tried it, and it didn't work because she tripped and she fell down. Yeah. <laughs> so she looked at him and said, well, yeah. I told you it wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so he just kind of nodded his head and went, okay, and reset everything. I'll reset the camera placement, reset the tracks, <laughs> and they did it again <laughs> without her having to do something that he shouldn't have asked her to do in the right. first place. <laughs> so imagine that. You're having to, having to step across the tracks for the camera and make it look like you're not doing something unnatural, which mm. is incredibly unnatural. Yeah. While doing dialogue and keeping the scene in keeping the scene in motion, and she of <laughs> course, which means you can't look down yeah. to check your footing while you're doing it, and of course mm. she falls flat on her face. Mm. And I, I thought that was funny. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, you're right. <laughs> can't be done. I'll reset everything. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, just as an aside, I do love that uh, Marie Costi, apparently, like so many actresses mm. that we run across when, when, we, when we find mm. interviews with the actresses who worked with Paul Nashie, uh, she loved walking with, working with Paul Nashie. She yeah. has nothing but pleasant, mm. kind, nice things to say about him. Yeah. And like I say, I, I can only attribute that to what uh, seems to be true that a few mm. actors have said outright, which is the fact that he was an actor first mm. when he was a director or even when he was yeah. just an actor or just the guy who wrote the script. He was very good working with other actors because he understood what they needed. Yeah, they needed you know what they might need within a scene, and also mm-hmm. was willing to work with them to make things easier, to make things work for them as they shot certain things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, once again, running across yet another actress saying something very similar yeah, to all these yeah. other actresses who've said, mm-hmm. said said extremely similar things, where you know something would go wrong, and 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 Nash would be the first one there taking care of the problem. Yeah, you know. Making sure everything was okay and pulling them to the side and asking them what they needed. And she says the same thing, and I think that's that's just another neat little thing that mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. expect to be uh, the way that uh, things would turn out 
but he appears Paul Nashi appears to uh, to all intents and purposes to purposes to have been a real gentleman with yeah, his, really, his, co- his female co-stars yeah. so. I know I'm detested but in these circumstances, it's more prudent that we remain here together. Leave me in peace. I prefer to stay alone. Your silly bed manners are really too much. You are just a stupid child. The only thing I may say for me is if anything happens to Carol, I'll stop only when the guilty have been found. Although they are zombies? You and your superstitions. Please leave the tent. I said leave me alone. Well, it's at this point that while they're setting up camp there beside the mighty, mighty river, <laughs> that uh, uh, we they see off, you know, not too far away, but far enough away that it's a miniature, the the the, the, yeah. the native village. Uh-huh. And then they get, uh, they've got some uh, gawkers from that, mm. that are supposed to be from that village, mm. who are looking at, of course, looking at the women, which yeah. is, of course, what they would do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a guy who's from the village comes over and introduces himself. And this is a, this is an, uh, a character... By the name of Tumunga mm-hmm. or Munga, depending Tumunga, on yeah. which version of it you're looking at. Right. Played by an actor named Jose Thelman. Also a familiar face. Yep. You have seen this guy in other movies as well, including the second Blind Dead movie, mm-hmm. once again, working for Amanda Diasorio. Actually, both the first two Blind Dead films. Oh, was he, in the, he was in both of them? Yeah, he yeah, was there. You're right. Yeah, yeah. he was. Mm-hmm. Well, he was there. He's actually kind of... Well, I remember, I remember him from Lorelai's Grasp. Yeah, but, you know. yeah. But he's actually, I was going to say, he, he tends to get typecast as a rapist because he's the rapist from Tombs of the Blind Dead, and he, and and he, he turns out to be one in this turns one, Turns out too. to be one in this, yeah. Uh, but less, less successfully in this one, I would say. True, um, true, true. Well, of course, where we, uh, as a Nashi fanatic, of course, he turns up in uh, uh, Human Beasts mm-hmm. and Night of the Werewolf mm-hmm. in uh, 1980 1981. So uh, he is someone that we have seen repeatedly here on the old Nashy cast. He didn't have a very long, uh, he didn't have a very long no. career. Kind of tapered off and sort of ended in the early '80s. There's one TV appearance he has in the early '90s, but uh, he's he's perfectly he's perfectly fine in this. And yeah, like, kind of a mysterious character through yeah. most of the film. You don't really know which way he's going to turn until he finally does turn out to be a bit of a scumbag, you know, but I think that it's interesting that his character feels a little more, a little bit more fleshed out in the Spanish dub mm-hmm. because, uh, there's a little bit more, uh, of the Jack Taylor character and the, and the, the, uh, the, the white, the great white hunter character kind of commenting back and forth about reasons why he, this guy would want them to move on a little faster. Yeah. Um, they think that he, they, I think, feel like he thinks, they think that he thinks their being, their presence there is going to interfere. run away, run, interfere with the local business or drawing, you know, if they make this film about how this area is, is one where the animals have all left and, and all yeah. this, that it's going to be bad for his his village and, and his own personal business there. Yep, yep, yep. And so, and, and there's not, it's not, that's not as well handled or well, well, uh, shall we say, uh, written. In the English dub, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So once again, another another uh, notch on the wall for checking out the Spanish version rather than the English mm-hmm. language dub first. Um, just a, a better experience overall. Well, one of the other, well, of the uh, we should we should talk about the other two ladies. I forgot we got lost mm-hmm. in Maria Costi there, mm-hmm. which I guess is easy to do. Kind of yeah. easy to do. Uh, she played. <laughs> That, that could come out wrong. She plays yeah, yeah. she plays Liz Meredith, and she, uh, well, she's the the snooty rich bitch, 
character in this. Yeah. She's the daughter. Her father is apparently the one who has funded this expedition. So Correct. she's just apparently decided to go along just so she can hate everybody and, and hate <laughs> yeah. being there. You know, and not really do anything to help but, her. Yeah. Well, but the weird thing here's the weird thing about it. I can't decide if some of these things with these characters are good writing or bad writing. In other words, there are the characters have like there's a, there's there's a, some of the characters are sort of I can't figure out if they're inconsistent or if it was intended for us to not really know what to make of some of these relationships or to keep it a mystery. But I think it's interesting that. You do what you just described her, you know, is 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 right on the. That's how you would describe her, and that you know, if you were going to put it in a few words, like, "Hey, Maria, we want you to play the rich, snooty bitch," you know, here. <laughs> but but she's also the only one of the characters who exhibits any sort of conscience later in the film and any sort of actual concern for yeah. somebody else, you know, yeah, which is she is, she which is. is an interesting take on the character. I mean, the way that character kind of turns takes that turn. And to me, what you're you're trying to decide if that's good or bad yeah, writing. In other right. words, if the character's being written in an inconsistent fashion. But to me. What it is is, uh, I, I like it. I would consider it good writing because it's a setup to make you think that this character is being defined as mm-hmm. as, as this asshole. Mm-hmm. And then as the story goes on, you begin to realize, oh, well, no, 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 no. Actually, the great white hunter is the asshole, and he's an mm-hmm. incompetent, too. Yeah. Except, except, getting back to that, too, throughout the, the film, and we'll, I guess uh, we'll, we'll get to... The character of Tanika, the 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 yes, Rod, she, Rod's she, girlfriend. She's up next. She's up next. Yeah. yeah, she's the redhead, and of course, being redhead means she's hot blooded. And uh, boy, is she ever hot blooded. She just pretty much. She's on, she's de- she's defined by by sex and anger. And yes. anger, yes, yes. And uh, throughout the whole film, she's accusing Rod of wanting to be with Liz. We yeah. never ever actually see any evidence that he wants to be. And in fact, she's always accusing Liz of wanting to be with Rod, and we never ever see any evidence that she wants to be. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, there's there's a subtle hint that. Liz, Maria Costi's character, might actually be a lesbian. After our third, you know, uh, yeah. our woman who is uh, Carol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah. photographer. Well, yeah. For, so, for, yeah. Before we get, get, before we get to Carol, let's talk about the, the, uh, the character you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Tanika. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, played by Kali Hansa, mm-hmm. uh, who is the, the hot-blooded, sexually bold mm-hmm. woman. Uh, she was she's she was all she also worked for Amanda Diasorio in uh, Demon Witch Child. Uh, she uh, she goes she worked with uh, Franco right Just with Franco, Franco in, mm-hmm. a, in a number of films. We're talking Perverse Countess, mm-hmm. Sinister Eyes of Doctor Orloff, Center the Center Diary of a uh, uh, Nymphomaniac, and so burying her mm-hmm. burying her body is something this actress had absolutely mm-hmm. no problem with. And I got to say in this in this film, as beautiful as she is, mm-hmm. I'm always I'm always much more impressed with her in this movie because of her bold fashion statements. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Now, Once again, the height of jungle wear. Yes. yes. <laughs> none, of, none of these women are, are dressing in a way that, that, that says, I understand where I've gone. Exactly. None of them. <laughs> Maybe she, they've heard the less you wear, the, the quicker you can run from the tiger or something. From there. Like, actually, well, not just like, that. It's like, oh, what is with this overly colorful colorful <laughs> print stuff? And she's, at one point, I mean, don't get me wrong, she looks gorgeous. Oh, she way, does, but she's yeah. using a scarf as a bra. Yeah. And I'm like, dear, dear, sweetie, where is this insect repellent that is so effective for you? Because you should be eaten alive right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, She's she's quite good. She's a, she's a, she's an actress who, uh, uh, like I said, I had seen in a in a, in a, in a number of mm. Jess Franco films, and uh, I'd actually I'd, I'd forgotten that she was in Sinister Eyes of Doctor Doctor Orloff, but uh, 
she's she she had a very short she had a very short career by by 1976 uh, or 77 she she was out of the film industry i don't know much else about her yeah uh, but uh, she is striking in this movie. She mm-hmm. is a fashion plate. She is. And, jeez, uh, has absolutely no fear, does she? Yeah, no, no. Very bold performance. Mm. Our third actress, that would be, uh, she's playing the character, <laughs> she's playing the character Carol Harris, mm. which is like bland American name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carol Harris. Bland American. <laughs> it's like, it's 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 so it's such a bizarre choice, Jonathan Professor Jonathan Grant. There's this there's this phenomenon. There's almost a paper to be written about European trash cinema of the seventies mm. and eighties, mm. and the um, the American character name choices made by European writers. Oh yeah, um, the. It, 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 I, we used to make this joke about the characters portrayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger in action movies in the 80s. Yeah. Which is, does this guy look like a John Grant to you? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember the name of the character. Uh, John Matrix. Yeah. First of all, Matrix. Let's stop there. <laughs> right. But look at him and listen to him. Mm. Do you think this guy's name is John? Yeah. Or do you think that's an alias? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an alias to me. If you'd come up and said, his name is... Thundar the Barbarian. Yeah, you could. That would I'm with that. you on yeah. this. Or maybe if you told me that his name was Thud the Destroyer. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're there. But yeah. come on. I, I do love the intensely bland American mm. names. They're they are exactly the kind of thing that they're they're like that second or third level of entertainment I get from these movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's the I'm, I've I've watched this movie too many times now and now I'm thinking way too much about the names <laughs> because one of the things and, th- and this is something the further by the way people if you if you delve a lot into kind of deconstruction of fiction mm-hmm. either literary fiction or cinematic fiction it doesn't really matter a good writer or a writer who's trying to be interesting or trying to be mm. clever or trying mm. to put something there to uh, help him help himself out with characterization and with story t- story plot points is to name your characters something that lends itself to adding mm. to either the the definition of the character or the definition of the story mm-hmm. and so when you see uh, writers using names that are just super bland. Mm-hmm. You have to think to yourself: Is it because we're supposed to interpret that the character is very bland and nondescript, mm-hmm. or is it that they were just looking through a book of bland names <laughs> and picked out the most American? Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. trying to pretend that this is an American mm-hmm. character in an American film. We're trying to fake it with you know even changing the actual director's name on the mm-hmm. print to mm-hmm. make people think that this is a, a film that wasn't made in Europe by you know Spanish people. I, is it the way you name your first victim when you decide this character's a first victim, so let's give her a bland name because she's going to be going quickly? Yeah, I, yeah who, who knows? It's one of those things. But see, I always I I prefer that more thought be put into yeah, the, yeah, the the, yeah. the name choices than anything else. But when it's mm. noticeably bland, yeah. first of all, in this film, I think I'm not. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that the asshole ineffective great white hunter being named rod 
<laughs> fits the kind of thing that I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Where yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. see, that's yeah. that's a that's, name that, yeah. that that's a name that okay. It's you could have also named him Master. Uh, you know, well, you could have named him. Or, uh, you could have named him Jerk. Yeah, <laughs> it would have yeah. been the same thing because the impression that you're giving with the name Rod, and yes, I know that's my yeah. name, yeah. and I know what I'm saying about my own name, but you uh, name a character Rod, mm. and almost immediately you're setting that character up to mm. probably be. He's mm. going, you're, mm. you're, you're, you're going to either have to play against the character mm. being a jerk or an asshole, or you're going to have to lean into it and mm. it be that name that kind of leads the dance. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you name someone Carol Harris, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like okay, so Middle American is. It, I mean, are we, are we, <laughs> what are we? What are we saying with this? Yeah. This is a super generic name to a large degree. It's a it's a name that doesn't say anything mm-hmm. specific. I mean, it really doesn't. It's the name of a housewife, for God's sake. That's what it is. But uh, the act- let's get to the actress, because yeah. now I, I'm babbling about name choices in, in, in fiction. This is insane. Well, sometimes I don't know if, you know, sometimes I think IMDb just makes up last names because it has to have a last name. I don't ever remember them calling this guy oh, yeah. for his full name. Oh, but Rod- here it's like, yeah, but Rod, it's actually his full name. It's even funnier to me. Rod Carter. That's like, yeah. <laughs> I do think he has referred to that in one of the. Oh, is he yeah. okay? But I love that yeah. calling Professor Rod Carter here. I think there's like there ain't nothing professorial about him. It's well, like, yeah, he's. The, I don't know why they're calling him a professor. He's the, he's the great white yeah, no, character. Yeah. That, that I don't know. But I love it. It's like you know Rod Carter, asshole of Africa. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a, a twelve chapter serial from the early forties. Yeah, <laughs> he tamed animals and he tamed women. Oh, God. So okay, the actress playing Carol Harris mm-hmm. is the always lovely Loretta Tovar. Yeah, yeah. Who's someone that we, boy, do we, yeah, we, she's man. We've seen her a lot. <laughs> a whole lot. I mean, uh, the Blind Dead movies. Lord, her career continued up into the up into the two thousands. She's mm-hmm. one of those actresses who did a lot of television work starting in the mid eighties, and that here on the podcast, uh, we have seen her in oh geez Inquisition, mm-hmm. um, in which she did, uh, which she. Yeah, in which she was quite good. I, 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 all of the actresses in that movie did an absolutely yeah. fantastic job. She was also recently in the uh, very weird Paul Nashie film Los Pasajeros. Mm-hmm. That, that was a very strange film. Bizarre yeah. movie. For Jess Franco, she was in The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff along with mm-hmm. one of her co-stars Kelly in this Hunter. particular yeah. film. She was in Laurel Eyes Grasp. Mm-hmm. For uh, Jordy Grau, and that is apparently how you say... Yeah. It's not Jorge Grau. It's I know, it's Jordy actually Grau. did, yeah. I'm glad to, glad to know that now. Uh, she she was in uh, Legend of Blood Castle. Nice, juicy role in that. And uh, she had a very small role in uh, Nashie's Count Dracula's Great Love. And she had a really neat role in uh, It Happened at Nightmare Inn. Yeah, right. Also known Which as we... Candle for the Devil. Yep. Uh, so she has been a, a fixture here mm. on, the, now, on the podcast. Her first credit is um, in The House That Screamed, but that actually means nothing because every Spanish actress, I think, was of in a age, because yeah. because Exactly, because that film was full of, you know, it was, a, it was set in a girls' dormitory, so they needed a lot of women, a lot of girls in there, and I think half of them all went on to have careers in Spanish horror. Oh, yep. I think, I think you may be absolutely correct there. So we have our four actresses mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. all of them lovely, all mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, we only have three actors here. Well, one actress is already dead, but hey, she's about to show back she up as a dead by creature. Her, that's right. She wants company. <laughs> she wants company, <laughs> exactly. She doesn't want to be the only one running around in a leopard print bikini in the jungle. Well, uh, so they, they set up and they decide they're going to, as night falls, uh, it's very clear that uh, our, our, our dear beloved, uh, 
rich bitch character Liz, played by Maria Costi, is not going to be helping out setting up any tents or doing no. anything whatsoever. No. And uh, just kind of dares poor old Professor Grant to uh, say or do anything to her father because then she'll just, uh, you know, snap her fingers and this shit will all be over. So yep. there you go. We were, we're setting up. Uh, that, and like I say, I think that is an intentional turn that uh, is there buried in, you know, place mm-hmm. within the script is to have this character who starts as a as a jerk mm-hmm. end up as the only one who seems to have any sympathy for anybody else. Right. That night, the uh, the two men uh, decide to split, uh, watching uh, over over the uh, encampment. There, first up is Rod, who spends his time uh, guarding. Uh, Having sex mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Tanika, who comes yeah. out, and of course, yeah. uh, hard to say no, yeah. especially even if it's on gravel. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So, uh, so his time, uh, he, he's he's guarding for hours. So I'm guessing that's just a lot of sex. Yeah, yeah. Apparently so. Apparently that's. that's I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed if yeah. if Rod <laughs> could keep it up for that long. <sighs> but eventually. Uh, Three in the morning, he goes and wakes up the old professor and tells him he needs to he needs to take over. And uh, the thing is, while Rod and, and Tanika are are uh, uh, attempting to repopulate Africa with their own <laughs> children, mm-hmm. uh, things happen. Yeah, uh, our dear Carol wanders away because uh, well, I mean, she's when, there as a photographer. photographer. She's there she's as a there. photographer. She's yeah. a professional photographer. She wanders away that night. Because uh, our uh, que- our questionable uh, uh, native who ca- came in and actually walked them over, we left that out. Walked them over and shown them the uh, the area, the sacrificial area, and kind of <clears throat> filled them in on this whole backstory of the of the scary voodoo place yeah. where the he, where, well, he calls it the Kingdom of the Leopard Colony, and I'm sitting there thinking that might actually have been a better title than Night of the Sorcerers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Night of the Sorcerers is not. Uh, I mean, it, it'll work, yeah. but it's not the best title. Yeah. But then again... I mean, Kingdom of the Leopard Colony still gives it probably a different... I mean, it makes, but it's just a cool... I saw it sounded cooler. I thought that was actually kind of neat. It does sound cooler. You know, yeah, I mean, I'll grant yeah. you that. Yeah. But it probably also would have failed to draw anybody. Sure. And just they would have, again, what do you think? They'd come inspecting a Tarzan movie, I guess, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're shown this area, which we saw in the prelude, which is you know where the, uh, the sacrifices were done, mm-hmm. at least 60 years previous. Right. Who knows about today? No, we don't believe in such superstition. That's ridiculous. Superstition, as they all say. Yeah, yeah. Yes. even though he's playing it up and saying things like, "Yeah, hey, you know, there's the the leopards by day and they're mm. they're demon they're demon leopards at mm. night, and yada mm. yada yada." And y'all really shouldn't be sticking around here. Y'all yeah. need to move on as soon as you can. Yeah, and then meanwhile, the other guys are just kind of trying to contain their laughter when he's telling them this. <laughs> Listen to the native yeah. pimp shit. Yeah. 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 So that night, Carol does slip out. She's gonna go there. And uh, uh, take some photographs by night. See if there's mm. anything actually going on in this mm. sacrificial area at night. And uh, what do you think happens? Things don't go well. You know, lots of walking is done. Well, yes, lots of walking. A little bit of stalking. A little bit of stalking. A little bit of unearthing. A little bit of uh, <laughs> yes. about emerging from tombs. And uh, well, I did enjoy. And of course, this is a confusion in the film because this in this scene we see the uh, the undead witch doctor mm. characters push themselves up from these piles of stone mm-hmm. which is actually a pretty effective scene right I re- there, that, that's one of the scenes in the movie where Osorio is able to work his creepy magic mm-hmm. and make things look dark and sinister mm-hmm. and uh, well it's another one of those things where he basically just he took the you know a blind dead segment 
and moved it to this setting because it's filmed and paced and edited almost exactly like the blind dead scenes when they emerge they from revive, the tombs, which yeah. is always intercut back and forth with somebody ap- approaching that area and is about to uh, uh, run into so have, have a bad day basically so. or have a bad night yeah, have a bad night yeah I have to admit that that's mm-hmm. a pretty effective scene but then later in the movie he undercuts it by having them revive again and just Spring appear. Up. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, they just, just appear. Well, yeah, you don't get the repeat right. Yeah. yeah, they don't push themselves up out of the stones yeah. again. They just appear on top of the stones. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's weird. That's not consistent. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still mm-hmm. it, it's still creepy. And I wonder if the reason he did that was to have a different kind of visual. Yeah. You know? Because no. that's something that a lot of visual directors, and mm-hmm. Sorio was, I mean, within the restrictions of his budgetary constraints, he was... So I wonder if that's what was going through his head, which is let's do this a different way the second time so that I d- it doesn't look like we're repeating ourselves even though we still have to get these characters on screen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I would I would love no. to I would love to have been able to question him about that myself yeah. just for just to to see if he had it planned to be done the same way each time and then yeah. you know, and then decided late in the game it's like oh, let's do it a different way. Yeah, good point. But nevertheless, uh, we get poor Carol strapped up to that same tree. And who should appear and who was stalking her the whole time, which is the Barbara Ray character who we saw killed in the pro- in the prologue, mm. not looking 60 years older. No, no, definitely not. But looking like somebody yeah. smeared some white makeup all over her face. Mm-hmm. It's weird mm. with these undead people. And in this, it actually works. But you, the payoff yeah. is later in the movie, yeah. which is her body looks like yeah. her, norm- her body's normal skin tone, but her face yeah. is kind of dead white. Mm. Now, of course, what's neat is... Mm. You don't pay attention to the fact that that actually plays into it until the end of the movie, yeah. when the head is when the head falls off. Yeah, and you're like, oh, I yeah, get it. Yeah, oh, it's supposed uh, to be a different skin tone. It's not yeah. some stupid, silly movie mm-hmm. thing where the mm-hmm. makeup didn't go all the way up the arm, and mm-hmm. you can see when the sleeve came up that they didn't actually yeah. get it all the way done. So interesting. I like mm-hmm. that. But and see, that's another one of the that's that's one of those things where the what. Would you know that sometimes happened in not just you know Eurocult films, but specifically in Amanda Diasorio films, which is something that you're willing to give the movie, but mm-hmm. you think it's a mistake mm-hmm. later on turns out to have been intentional. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the only one I can think of specifically in this movie where there where it's something that you think is a technical flub actually turns out to have been intentional. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good one. Yeah, I, I yeah. really do enjoy that. So. Uh, so we get the whole whipping the woman, yeah, <laughs> putting yeah. her on the altar, uh-huh. and shopping her head off routine with with poor Carol, which is it's 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 sad, it's unfortunate, and uh, remember this 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 is the first night. I mean, yeah, right, yeah. It's like and there's that moment if you're paying attention to the title where you think is this all going to happen over one night, mm-hmm. and it's like no, no, no. the movie's going to take place over two nights, two nights, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Don't don't get too far ahead yeah, of yourself. Right. We, gotta, we gotta have some we gotta have some dead time in the middle yeah. there for everybody yeah. to go. Mm-hmm. Hey, what happened? Well, she's missing. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And it's your we, fault. No, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. Yes, let the arguments begin. Mm-hmm. Well, I do love that. This is where we start to get a sense of the uh, Liz Meredith character, Maria Cossi's character, mm-hmm. actually having some sympathy because she was the one that was sharing a tent with Carol mm-hmm. when Carol hasn't come back the next morning. She alerts the other people. And you start to see that she's actually really concerned about this. Yeah. So, so concerned we get that nice little flashback scene of them having uh, the two of them having a conversation, so that we can have a scene 
<laughs> so we can have a scene yeah. with Loretta Tovar completely nude bathing oh, yeah. <laughs> and having a conversation. It's like, ah, gratuitous, thy mm. name is the sequence. <laughs> because like you said, since all the insect, insects as well as the animals have fled this area, yep. you can sit naked in your tent and not be bothered at all. Not be bothered in any way, shape, or form. But what it really reminded me of was, again, a, a, another callback to a, a Sorio theme, was it reminded me of this, the flashbacks in Tombs of the Blind Dead with Lone Fleming and the woman that she had previously had an affair yeah, with. And yeah. there it's more overtly stated, obviously, that they had an affair. This one's right. a little more subtle. What, what's subtle about it is that when Maria Costi is um, is flashing back to this conversation she had with this woman, we begin with a shot on the woman's legs. You know, then it the camera pulls back, you know, to reveal the scene. So in Maria Costi's mind, we're sort of led to think that that's, she's remembering this woman in a, in a sexual way or that yeah. she has an attraction for this woman. But we're never actually shown if anything's ever really happened between them or if it's just something that Maria Costi feels or is it, you well, know, I, it's, it's a little more subtle, I think, than in yeah. Tunes of the Blind Dead. It, might, it, it felt to me unstated as if yeah. she was attracted to her, but it never made a move. It never right. said anything. Right. And that, to me, I thought was, that was pretty damned interesting it because it's there, it's subtle, it plays effectively... And it sh- and and it gives a hook for why this character, who up to now we thought was a bit of a jerk, yeah, is suddenly now for the rest of this movie going to be somebody who has a lot of sympathy for what's going on and is trying mm-hmm. and is actually mm-hmm. pushing things forward at a couple of yeah. a couple of points. Yeah, so pretty effective and something that I really enjoy, I really like about mm-hmm. the movie. Now this whole time, Tanika is the one who's kind of been saying, "Hey, listen, there's something a little mm-hmm. off about this." She, mm-hmm. when, when they were shown that altar the day before, it's like eh. right. I don't know. Well, now she's kind of like the doomsayer for the yeah. rest of the movie. She's the one that's kind of going, okay, evil is going down. Yeah. We need to get, you know, this is mm-hmm. this is bad. This is bad. We need to get the hell out. And, uh, of course... But she won't leave because Rod won't leave. She's trying correct. to get him to, but he won't leave. And he's not going to leave because... Because he wants to stay with Liz, according to her. <laughs> but just, at the same time, this is, where, where, this is where we're starting to see him realize, because yeah. he can't deny that yeah. this yeah. happened on his watch. Yeah. yeah. This is his that's fault. True. Yeah. Oh, just as an aside, I would like to point out that uh, they have in this uh, they have in this uh, this encampment there where they've set up their tents. They have a magic fire. <laughs> yes, they do. They have a magic campfire that never has to be tended. Yes. Never has to be tended, and is always burning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I am super impressed. I am too. I uh, I don't know how they manage that. Yeah. And if they ha- if they could mail me or fax me or what you know perhaps by carrier pigeon send me a message that would inform me and how to get one of those, I think I'd be happy to have it. They didn't even have a rhinoceros come through and stomp it out. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! I do like that before Carol went off to uh, to to where the uh, the altar was, hmm. she first stopped to to take some photographs of uh, Rod and <laughs> yeah. Rod and Tanika getting it on. Yeah, <laughs> so. Once they once they, they they go to the altar area, they find her her camera, and they're and they're all like, okay, something bad has gone down because yeah. she would never leave this thing behind. It's an incredibly expensive bit of, bit of equipment. Uh, they don't find her, of course, mm-hmm. but they do find some blood on the altar that seems to be fresh, which gets them a little bit concerned. Mm-hmm. And so they go back, and uh, the professor decides, okay, let's see what pictures she, let's see what photographs she took. And of course, the first ones he developed are the first ones on the roll of film, yeah. which are, of course, of the the two of them fucking, which yeah. means that it means he now knows, it's like, okay, God, this is from yeah. last night, mm-hmm. and that means, of course, he wasn't 
watching Worth a Damn and yeah. then saying, if there was any doubt whatsoever about who's the fuck up here, it's definitely yeah. the Great White Hunter. Well, what is the weird moment, and I'm trying to remember placing it where it exactly comes, but that Jack Taylor finds her scarf next to that weird scene where he oh, just finds it. Oh, when he starts, it's when, when he, he starts, takes his watch, and I guess yeah. he finds where they've been in and he just lets it float down he the stream, and it's almost water. kind of a little spiteful, a weird is. insight into his otherwise character we don't ever really get we don't any, really get any characterization but, but that sort that of sense is that yeah. he's maybe likes her and is jealous of Rod or that maybe he's just more dismissive maybe. of the fact that good lord I'm paying these people good money and all they're doing is screwing while I'm trying to <laughs> but it's just a strange moment there where he just you know it's like the only time that character shows anything other than Jack Taylor stoic you know stoicness <laughs> there is he just throws that scarf into the water and lets it slip <laughs> lets it float away well the movie now progresses where we have uh, we have these two women who have now been killed on the altar Mm -hmm. and have become leopard demons. Right. Which means that during the day they're leopards and at night they're leopard demons stalking the rest Mm -hmm. of these people. Mm -hmm. And that is how the film progresses. Now, this is where we're going to discuss uh, one of the things that doesn't really work in the movie, in my opinion, which is the... I know what it is. The slow motion stalking through the jungle sequences with these two ladies. Yeah. Which, at first, you know, for the first few seconds you're like, okay, cool. This is interesting. But then... It continues. Yeah. And then... It, con- it continues. Yes. Yeah. And so there it's comes a, a point yeah, where sound like, that slow motion doesn't always work, or, or especially not in that. <laughs> and a little a little bit goes a long way with slow motion, let's put it that way. You know way. what? I, I, I've tried to... I've tried to... Th- I've thought about it a lot, uh-huh. going back through the film. Again, I get to thinking about it. How would... How could this have been... How could this have worked mm-hmm. and spice things up? Because... What he's doing is he's using the exact same camera setups and the exact same shot choices mm-hmm. for uh, in his editing too that he used and it works so well for the Blind Dead. Unfortunately, the Blind Dead are inherently creepy and scary and interesting to look at mm-hmm. because there's a variety mm-hmm. of them on horseback uh, and they're just scary. Mm-hmm. With these women, they're not intrinsically creepy. They're not yeah, something yeah, that no. engenders fear no. in any way, shape, or form immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, the you know they got the big fangs and they're mm-hmm. looking all kinds of, of fear, fear, fearsome and menacing. Mm-hmm. But what you have essentially are women who look like they're dressed up to go to a really cool costume party <laughs> yeah. that's jungle themed. Yeah, and we're, are wearing fangs, mm-hmm. and their hair is perfect, <laughs> and they're running slow mo through some trees. Mm-hmm. And what he needed to do was realize that to make these women actually seem threatening or creepy, he needed to vary his shot choices. Not just the long shots where we're seeing them full-bodied. We needed some close-ups of them moving, and there's like trees behind them and trees in front of them that, you know, and we're tracking along and watching them stalk their way through, you know, areas where they're crouching down and sniffing things, things that would have given you the idea of them having some kind of leopard presence within their, you know, their physical bodies at that point. Something that would have made it feel as if these were otherworldly creatures more than them just being in slow motion. Remember what I said about how, you know, being that they're leopard demons, you would kind of think the opposite, that they would be very fast, you know. And obviously, uh, one way you could have conveyed that is maybe doing some point-of-view shots of the camera moving ahead through the jungle. Oh, that's a good idea, yeah. You know, kind of like a, to kind of convey without, you know, you kind of convey that they're moving at speed at a faster speed or that they're able to move kind of stealthily through the jungle, almost I like, like a cat like would that. might have been. You're right. That's a good idea, yeah. 
you know, yeah. just just something to and then, and yeah. then the slow motion intercut slow motion yeah. shots that would have allowed you yeah. basically as if you're 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 capturing these shots to give you an idea of not just the unearthly nature of them, but mm. just to get you, give you a chance to see these creatures moving. Yeah. In yeah. a way that is not a blur, yeah. perhaps yeah. you know, that would be that that would mm. be interesting. That would be nice, but that is not a choice that was made. No. Raw. Hmm? Stay with me. No, I can't stay anymore. Don't leave me, dear. I'll stay right near the tent. Do me a favor. Are you still afraid? I have a most strange feeling. This may be our last kiss. When the sun rises, we leave here. You mean it? I promise you. Let's pray it's not too late, my sweet. So on their second night here, while our good professor is uh, trying to develop the pictures, at least the non-porno pictures mm-hmm. yeah. that Carol took yeah, the, right. the night before, um, the, uh, the the now duo of leopard chicks come in and they and they kill him. And they kill him in a weird way. Poor Jack, drowned in photo developer. That's how, yeah, how humiliating. Which kind <laughs> of like fucks up his face. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, first of all, it... It's a weird way to be killed. It yes. doesn't look like it would have worked. Yeah, it's very it's, it's, ineffective in how mm. it's physically done. Mm. And then you start to think to yourself, why didn't they do something more interesting? Yeah, mean, just, like, why they, didn't they do something? About, you know those fangs you got? Ladies yeah, yeah, why didn't they just like tear into him, like rip his throat open or something? That, that yeah. would have been what I would have thought was yeah. going to go on. I mean, on the other hand, you know, I had to give them credit for you know they're clever little leopard, leopard girls. They uh, <laughs> little wear leopards. They they think to tear up his photographs to destroy the evidence of their existence there after they kill him. And so maybe uh, that maybe true. that's why they didn't kill him with their fangs because you know I actually half expect them to like pull out claws and start wiping their fingerprints off of you know (laughs) (laughs) oh god oh yeah I can see that (laughs) but yes it is a strange death Uh, uh, you know the many strange deaths of Jack Taylor this is one of them well our our poor Maria Costi character Liz mm. has uh, she's been she's so distraught mm. that she has taken probably way too many sleeping pills, mm. which is which, which does keep in character with the rich spoiled girl. Yes. They probably get this they feeling that this is habitual for her that she yeah, does this a yeah. lot, which is which is why when uh, when the the leopard chicks come in and mm. and essentially are attempting to recruit her, mm. she's a little she's more than a little fuzzy about mm. the fact that this woman that she's talking to that she's been worried has been missing just might be dead. Yeah. Uh, and she's a little, she's a little I, out of it. And so I like it's this a, scene. Actually. It's actually, I like the way oh, this film effective. is done. I think I like this. This is actually pretty. Well I do. Done I scene. do too. It's one of the. It's one of the moments in the film where it's like, ah, well, they've. This is perfectly set in mm-hmm. place where mm-hmm. she's she's a little too drowsy to be able to focus effectively to mm-hmm. know whether or not this person is okay or not, mm-hmm. and that she's led off into the jungle by this person that she that she considers a friend. Yeah. Which is effective, but of course mm-hmm. we know mm-hmm. this ain't gonna work out no. well for this poor no. girl. No. Well. Uh, just as Liz realizes what they're going to do, the two leopard women plunge their fangs into her neck, mm. and in Liz's struggles, the original leopard woman is knocked down, and the choker that she wears fastened around her neck uh, comes apart, and her severed head rolls free, and she perishes as blood gushes from her neck. Mm. Now, I have no idea why the head coming loose again yeah. makes her die. Yeah, Um but by the way, it was not. It's not Liz, though. It's it's. Uh, no, no, it's not Liz. It's it's the Barbara Ray character. Oh yes, yes. I'm sorry. I thought. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm oh, sorry. Bar- I thought yeah, you yeah. said that it was. Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, but you're right. I mean that whole 
Yeah, that that whole. Uh, I guess they were looking for. I guess. How do I don't we, know. What's a what's a quick easy way to kind of kill these women? Oh, we'll just take the scarf that holds their head onto their body. I guess. Well, see, that, that is still an effective scene because it's a oh, payoff. It's yeah. a payoff of like oh, of oh like two or three oh, things. No, I, it's yeah. Like, oh, well, we saw them beheaded. So, but they definitely got physical forms. So we're not talking mm. ghostly, like intangible something yeah. here. So yeah, I, there's things about it I like. There's, there really are. That's that's one of those things that I like. Um. Well, the next day, Rod and Tanika, uh, they 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 found they found the dead professor, and everybody else is gone. Mm. And at this point, even the great white hunter should take the hot chick that he's banging and get the fuck out. I'm sorry. <laughs> he really should. It's like, I don't know what the hell happened, but I'm out of here. Because mm. if we stick around, we're probably going to die. People seem to die at night. This mm. is day. Let's travel. Yeah. <laughs> Go. But uh, that night, Carol is joined by the demon-possessed Elizabeth, who also is dressed now in leopard skins. Her new fangs gleaming in the moonlight. They abduct Tunica take her to the ceremonial clearing with the uh, the altar and everything. And they use their sharp fingernails and fangs to bloody her up. As they place leopard skins across her shredded flesh, Rod emerges from the jungle and shoots them both. He tosses his... Uh, and I love this. Okay. So he shoots a few of the... Uh, the uh, assume, I, we're going to have to assume resurrected undead mm-hmm. witch doctor characters as well. He shoots a few of them. And they, they seem to, to like not being shot. They, they don't like it. Yeah. But it's not as if it seems to kill them. I mean, remember, these are mm. these are revenants. They're 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 rise from the tomb. Yeah. So he takes his his his, his bandolero of yeah. bullets and throws it on their fire there and runs, and then of course these bullets go off and of course unerringly strike all of these <laughs> yeah. witch doctor characters. Yeah. yeah, at this point we're having to give this film a lot. We really are. We really, we really are, are having to give the, the circumstances of this particular sequence a lot. We're having to give it a lot. We are. I mean, I, I tried to, yeah, the, the bullet belt and the fire thing. I'm sorry, the whole thing. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like this. And we've gone into Three Stooges territory here. I mean, I really expected a lot of the, you know, the sources to be hitting them in the butt and be leaping around and grabbing, you know, grabbing their butts, you know, with others. My biscuits is burning. Yeah, I'm losing my mind. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally, that's what I'm thinking. I just I just couldn't go with the film and in, in, in that part there is like, you know, sorry, I know you're having to wrap things up and figure out how to like off, you know, all these, you know, but yeah. that just didn't work for me. <laughs> well, in the confusion, he, he grabs up Tanika and runs with her back to the camp, throws her in the Jeep, and they make their escape. Happily ever after. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie ends with a twist. And, of course, we should have warned you up front. We're going to spoil the hell out of this to a certain degree. The movie ends with a twist. And if you have ever seen a horror movie in your life, you will already know what the twist is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you will already know what the twist, quote-unquote, twist yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the movie's over. Yeah. Now, let's discuss this movie uh, in the way that it fits within Amado Diasorio's career. Mm-hmm. It's not, to my mind, he has five great movies, mm-hmm. to one degree or another. Mm-hmm. I mean, five movies that I would hold up and say, these are your movies. These mm-hmm. are the ones you really need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And he's got two or three others that mm-hmm. I think are interesting and are well worth seeing. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it becomes a question of where do you judge? Where do you, which, which one of his movies do you place on the bottom rung? Mm-hmm. And to a degree, this is one on the bottom rung. This is near the bottom rung. That's mm-hmm. not to say that I don't enjoy the movie. Yeah, yeah, same here. But it is far from his best work. Yeah. 
so well so much of what we enjoy we just enjoy because we're suckers for you know a lot of just the right. the, the fun ideas it gives you know i mean we're suckers for voodoo ceremonies and and women with fangs and you know yep. it just i mean it's, you know the walking dead and you know that's that's where that's causes us to give a, this film a lot that we wouldn't ordinarily in my when you start talking about his horror movies and that's really what we're ta- we're yeah. talking about here yeah I'm not talking about the uh, earlier movies the the stuff that he made in the 60s before he started making horror movies with fangs of the living dead but when you look at when you go from fangs of the living dead to tombs of the blind dead the Laurel Eyes of Grasp, the second Blind Dead film, whichever title you want to watch it under, mm-hmm. then the third Blind Dead film, Ghost Galleon, this film, Demon Witch Child, then Night of the Seagulls, the fourth and last of the Blind Dead pictures. Uh, he did uh, a couple of crime films, uh, one of which I've seen, which I think is pretty damn great. And uh, then you have... Uh, Forbidden Pla- Passion, which is a, a bit of a sex a sex film, mm-hmm. and then in '85 his final movie, The Sea Serpent. Mm-hmm. Now most people would say that it really is The Sea Serpent that of his horror movies mm-hmm. is the weakest. But I have to admit, I kind of enjoy The Sea Serpent a little more than I enjoy this movie. Okay, and see that I've not yet seen The Sea Serpent. That's one I've not seen yet of his. Now the one the, the one that I've got to rewatch that I haven't watched in forever is Demon Witch Child. And a lot of people consider Demon Witch, Demon Witch mm-hmm. Child to be his weakest film. And to be honest, I can't remember it well enough yeah. to judge. I watched it once, and I didn't remember being particularly impressed with it, but yeah. I also know that at some point we're going to cover it, so we'll see how, if, how we feel about it when we, we do cover it there. But it is interesting that he made, in succession here, You know, he made yeah. probably what would be considered three of his weakest films, which was Ghost Galleon, which we have yeah. given a hard time before, to, to, you know, but we also have kind of relented as we've gone yeah. on. We've sort of reevaluated, and, yeah. and because he Ghost Galleon followed by this, followed by Demon Witch Child, but then he kind of hit a peak again. Then with Night of the Seagulls, which was definitely a step up, you know, and bump up for Actually, sure in well, quality he, he, from these. He three. returned for that final time to the mm-hmm. Blind Dead, and he brought yeah. something really interesting yeah. to the table. Yeah. yeah, but actually, you know, I would say between Ghost Galleon and this film we covered tonight, I prefer Ghost Galleon between those two. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is a bit of a shame. I think that eventually we're going to have to cover Demon Witch Child and really kind of give it the mm-hmm. once over the way we've done this. And I need to see Sea Serpent too. And we need we need to do that one as well. Those are those are both on the on the on mm-hmm. the list to do for uh, future Beyond Nashy episodes. And I guess Fangs of the Living Dead we need to do too. That's one we haven't covered. Oh darn, we haven't, have we? No. Oh well, that's great. I mean, in a way, we kind of still have yeah, got a couple, three, three more of his horror films mm-hmm. still to do, and that's fantastic. But in relation to his other horror films, this is this is not one. Let's put it this way: um, when we were when we were offered the chance to do commentary tracks for both this and yeah. Lorelai's Grasp, and we realized we really really only had time to effectively do one. Mm-hmm. I now know exactly what memories were stuck in my yeah. head that kept me from thinking seriously about doing Night of the Sorcerers. Right, because I had not seen it, but I yeah. knew that I liked Lorelai's Grasp a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Lorelai's Grasp was the really the meatier film to do and the better movie. But now having rewatched it and really dug into it, yeah, 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 it's, it's one of his weaker films. Hmm. Um, now I kind of would like to have done a commentary on it just because it would have been interesting yeah. to, to kind of dip into it in a way that, uh, you know, kind of really dig into it pull it apart piece things together that that uh, you know while the movie's playing in front of you we could you know could have kind of illustrated it in certain ways 
but it's uh, it's one of his weaker films. But at the same time, and I know that I normally allow you to do this first, but I'm kind of going to step out here. I still kind of give this a five on the one to ten scale because there's enough in it for mm. me to enjoy without mm. thinking that it's particularly good. Yeah, actually, five was exactly what I gave. Okay, it. yeah, okay. I felt that way too because it just it's like you take it into context. Like you said, we put it in context of our Osorio's other films. We got to view this as as lesser Osorio. You know, definitely, it is, is you know, yeah. um, again, it's the kind of thing that if it you know if if, it, if we were turned up on late night TV one night and you were watching it when just you know you'd watch it and you'd you'd, you'd get a kick out I of it you'd enjoy kick. the you know uh, a lot of the silliness in it I mean we didn't even talk about the uh, the the thing about the fact that Jack Taylor's corpse just sort of comes you know oh animates God. again yeah and, and for no you, reason at all and yeah. it's really the same thing happens in Tombs of the Blind Dead but it doesn't strike you as 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 weird in that film it sort of fits with the weirdness of that whole story that film when when they're victims right. Later, Start animate around, like you yeah. know it, it. It's uh, but it really in this context it seemed to be even more like kind of nonsensical and out of left field. And but it does give you a cool, fun shot of a disfigured Jack Taylor rising from the you know rising from his yeah. his bed and 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 it was a cool moment too because. I love the way she collapses the tent on him and sets him on fire. I mean, that made me really oh, like that character <laughs> a lot more. I was like, go, girl. That was pretty... Uh, I gotta say, uh-huh. best Jack Taylor mannequin death ever. I know, because, because you know, it's Jack Taylor. You're like, is it a mannequin or is it Jack Taylor actually burning there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, it's, it was hard to tell before yeah, the flames. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was, it was yeah, but it's, it's uh, that that scene is, is fun, but it, it, it is just another crazy, weird thing that element that he threw into this film that just kind of feels yeah. like a film of just things that don't quite gel and, and quite work but but there are, are isolated moments you can enjoy and you enjoy the cast and you know it's 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 uh yeah I would yeah it wasn't torture to watch by any chance it's not a bad movie definitely not a bad movie but it's just not it's not a, it's not, not a, good not a really good one either. Yeah. It's just kind of you know, just sort of there, and yeah, yeah. And, and those are, in a way, those are some of the some of the weirdest films to kind of to kind of recommend or yeah. not recommend yeah. to people because it's it's like I don't want this to be the first amount no. of the Osorio film no. anybody watches. No. I want anybody to I want them leading off with the with one of the first two Blind Dead films. Yeah, yeah and for it's sure. like, and then pretty much after that, just watch whatever mm. you know watch whichever ones you locate after that and mm. you're okay yeah. because you're gonna you're gonna have a sense of what he's aiming for what his style is and how yeah. he's gonna definitely watch Lorelai's Grasp would be one I'd highly recommend too it's certainly like to of course that, yeah. certainly uh, but at the same time the uh, it's it's we live in wonderful times let's mm. put it this yeah, way yeah. most of his films barring uh, The mm. Sea Serpent mm-hmm. are uh, have been made commercially available there was even a, a brief DVD release of Demon Witch Child mm. Not on Blu-ray, of course. No. Uh, we've got two of the Blind Dead films, uh, come, one, one already out on Blu-ray. Mm. That, that'd, be, that'd be Night of the Seagulls. And we've got the first one coming out very soon. Mm. Uh, surely the second and third can't yeah, be far gotta behind. Yeah, got to be there. Got to be coming. So soon, I mean, Fangs of the Living Dead has been put out by Scream Factory. Mm-hmm. So we're getting to the point now where it will be possible. I mean, yeah, if I had my druthers, hmm. somebody would put out that crime film that he made in uh, 77. Yeah, is that the one that translates as The Vermin or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. That is good. I, I like that I like uh-huh. that movie, but uh-huh. it's like, I know why it's never going to come out on Blu-ray yeah. because it's, I mean, no, it doesn't matter that it, invo- it involves Helga Linné and, and it's a really interesting crime film. It's just, it's, it's not going to come out on Blu-ray because it's not a horror movie. Right. It's a shame because it's a solid movie. But the uh, it's nasty as hell too. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the vermin is is yeah, correct. Yeah, but we're at the point now where we're getting close to 
being able to kind of look at his entire horror output and mm-hmm. be able to judge it in HD, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing for, is, for, yeah. uh, for a man who whose budgets were always so low. He, 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 the, the, the poverty with which he had to deal with when, when crafting his movies is insane. But that's, that's good. I mean, I, I personally can't wait for somebody to put out the Sea Serpent on Blu-ray. Yeah. Because, yeah, it ain't great, yeah. and it's a monster movie where the special effects are the weakest element, but <laughs> I, honestly, if you like his other movies, I think you're going to want to see it. I do definitely want to. Want yeah, to yeah, yeah. I mean, right now you got to rely on bootlegs. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. But Amado de Osorio, is, he's one of my favorite Spanish horror filmmakers from this period, from the Golden Age. He did some amazing things. If he never did anything other than the Blind Dead movies, he would yeah. be a king. Mm-hmm. This is not one of his best films. No. But it is, I think, in context, mm-hmm. well worth seeing. Yeah. So that's where, I, that's, where, that's where I'll leave that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just, just for nothing else, just to play around with the themes that occur in this film that are in so many of his other films and is, is, in a, is a good, you know, it's kind of like watching the, the work, you know, the lesser Franco films, you know, as you, you still get to see some of those interests and themes yeah. and play out across those films. And therefore you kind of get to see how his mind worked creatively yeah. across, across different, you know, across different years and across mm-hmm. uh, different variations on certain plot lines. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating in a way. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. And I think we, I think we've got some. We mail. got a piece of mail. We got, we got a piece of mail. mail. All right, yeah, cool, do. cool. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize. I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. Time to crack open the mailbag and mm-hmm. see what we've got there. Uh, yeah. We have a missive from a listener, you say? We sure do. We have something from Kurt here. He says, Dear Rod and Troy, I recently learned about NashiCast, and I've been slowly working my way through your hundreds of hours of content. Ooh. It's definitely no chore, though. I'm thrilled that you're interested in Paul Nashi and Spanish horror enough to talk about it for a decade, and you, <laughs> <laughs> and you notice many things in these movies that I don't. If you're still looking for a subtitled version of Love Brides of the Blood Mummy... 
Trash Palace has one, and it is glorious. Now you have experienced the. I couldn't. Did you um, see a subtitled oh version or? God, uh, now that I've I've repressed all the pain, mm. I can't remember. I think it must been because he he's obviously heard the episode where we first came across the title and thought, oh my god, that sounds like the greatest movie ever made. He may not have gotten to the point where you saw yeah, it and discovered maybe. that was not the case. Yeah, because I, I in case you were unaware. <laughs> I did at one point actually see the movie. It mu- there must have been an English option, or I wouldn't have bothered because right. I wouldn't yeah, I wouldn't have, have felt you. like I could really yeah. judge whether the movie was mm-hmm. was was gold or shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, my my extreme agony watching mm-hmm. that movie was uh, intense. So, but Kurt, if you found it glorious, we would love to have you challenge uh, Rod's perception on it and see what your uh, see if you can give us a counter I, counter I, argument on that. I, I suspect in the pixels there, I sense a little sarcasm. <laughs> there may be, there may be a little. He may be speaking a bit, uh, yeah, uh, tongue in cheek. But uh, maybe maybe one day we should we should cover that movie so you too, Troy, can I experience to the experience. pain that, uh, that <laughs> the, I did. The glorious pain I need to experience. So, all right, he says I recently listened to your episode covering the people who own the dark. And I wondered if you've seen Refuge of Fear, also known as El Refugio del Miedo. It's a post-apocalyptic movie about two families trapped in a fallout bunker. As in People Who Own the Dark, they only have themselves to blame for how things play out. It's a grim film, but it features Teresa Gimpira plus Patty Shepard, as you've never seen her before. Her oh. sardonic strip routine must be seen to be disbelieved. And you had me at Patty Shepard's strip routine. You had me pretty much there. <laughs> What's the name of this film again? It is called Refuge of Fear. English title, Creation of the Damned. Craig Hill, Patty Shepard, Teresa Gimpura. Yeah, okay, okay. We've located it now, so... Ooh, Fernando Hillback, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, haven't seen that one. Does look very interesting. Yeah, 1974, does. I think? Yeah, 1974. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, we may have to... Uh, maybe we have to slot that into the uh, Beyond Nashy listings here pretty soon. Yeah. So, okay, what, what else is here? Yes, thank you. And Kurt goes on to say, uh, if you're looking for still more Patty Shepard, she was the best thing about the Witch's Mountain, which is also available at Trash Palace. And, um, I've, and I've, I've seen, not seen that one. No. I've seen a not very good-looking print of Witch's Mountain. It's a movie that I enjoyed, but it's crying out for a decent-looking yeah. print. I don't mm-hmm. know that there is a good-looking print of the damn thing. All of them seem too dark. Okay. Um, to be able to tell what the hell's going on in certain sequences, which definitely <laughs> definitely has an effect on your impressions of how good the film may be. Oh, yeah. So He says, uh, until speaking about Patty Shepard, he says, Do you know if she did English dubbing for movies she didn't appear in? So many of the English dubs for Spanish horror movies use the same voice actors, and I recognize the same voice in other movies as appears for Shepard's own roles. I'm not positive no. about her her voiceover work. I do know that in some films she was dubbed herself. Okay, yeah, she was dubbed herself. Okay. I have to admit, I do not know. It's a good so, question. So it's a good question. She may have been one of the yeah. actors who uh, she may have dubbed her own voice in certain films. It certainly mm. looks that way. I think we definitely know it's her voice in uh, things like uh, A Man Called Noon. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, it was shot in English, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm I'm not positive about her doing voiceover work. It's po- it's very possible. Yeah, but well, we are big she- Patty Shepard fans for sure. So thanks, Kurt, for for that information there. And he says uh, he finishes up his letter by saying, "Keep talking, and I'll keep listening." Well, no one's managed to shut us up yet, Kurt. So I think <laughs> uh, I think you're good on that score. Then, so thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. And uh, you know, uh, when you point out that we've 
contributed hundreds yeah. of hours of yeah. podcasting to the world at large, I kind of feel uh, a sense of shame. Yeah, yeah as I say, kind yeah. of feel it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Glad, glad you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm yeah. glad that, uh, well, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little thrilled every time that we realize that there are people out there listening to what we do and enjoying it mm. in any way, shape, or form. Uh, we, we always started this as fans. Well, mm. in, we, whenever this ends, we will still be fans. Yeah. It's always going to be very much the kind of thing where it's the admiration for the work itself that is, is leading us down the paths that we go. I don't know that um, I don't know that somebody who wasn't doing this out of love for it would have would have continued past mm-hmm. the hurdles that we've encountered trying to get our, get our hands on some of these films. And I think that that is uh, that that enthusiasm is it's still there. Uh, we've honestly we've gone much further than we had any knowledge that oh, we would absolutely. ever be able to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember thinking that surely this show can't last more than five or six years at the mm, most. And that's, yeah. that was when we'd been doing it three years at that point. And it was <laughs> right. like, okay, well, we can't, you know, this isn't going to last that much yeah. longer. We're going to yeah. eventually hit a wall. And it's, mm. it's not turned in that way. I mean, no. it's, it's, no, the shows don't come out as frequently, but at the same mm. time, there's still a large number of people out there who are fans. We're, I think mm. the, the revitalization that happened when the, the films, uh, a lot of the Nashi films began to come out on Blu-ray mm-hmm. has only made, uh, has only made the the fandom for for the Nashy Man mm. even even larger. Yeah, and um, anytime that we can draw attention to him, uh, you know we 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 are we are his his uh, wolf moon reflecting yeah. the sun that yeah, is right. Paul Nashy onto the world and hoping that someone takes note. <laughs> that was that was a labored analogy, boy. That I was, was riveted. I was riveted everywhere. You, you were wondering where the hell I was going. That's that's good because so so was I. So was I. I was curious as to just what yeah. kind of fucked up thing I was going to say next. But, folks, we are here. Uh, well, month in and month out, if you count mm-hmm. the Bloody Pit podcast over yeah. on the other side, where Troy and I do spend some time mm-hmm. going through other movies, including a long-running series that will never end on the <laughs> 1940s, the 1940s Universal Horror Films. Uh, our most recent episode is on the Mummy's Tomb. Recommended. Go on over there and check that out if you also enjoy indulging in the Universal Horror Films. Mm-hmm. Back here, the next time we do an episode of this podcast, we are definitely going to be doing another Beyond Nashy episode. It'll be episode 34 of Beyond Nashy Through Line. And uh, to be honest, we're close to calling an audible here because of this letter. I've got to admit, I'm intrigued mm-hmm. by this, uh, was it Creation of the Damned or Refuge of, of, Refuge of Fear? Fear? Yeah. I gotta say that uh, sounds interesting. Um, we were we were thinking about a different movie, but I think maybe we'll just jump that one to the top of the heap and uh, check that one out, and then we'll uh, we'll move to uh, well, let's go ahead and say it out loud. Hmm. Maybe we'll uh, we'll move to uh, what is it? The curse of the, the curse of the vampire. Yeah, the yeah. nineteen seventy two. You know that one with the real distinct title. <laughs> yeah, with, the, with the title that can't be ima- you, can, <laughs> you can't imagine any other movie having that title at all, except of course there are several. Yeah. Uh, but I tell you what, I think uh, for the next Nashy cast, we'll do it beyond Nashy. We'll do it on uh, Refuge of Fear. What's Sounds that? good to or, me. Yeah. What are, what, I wonder what title we'll call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, we could just keep calling it, you know, keep mispronouncing the Spanish title. Uh, Refugio <laughs> del Mido or Miedo. 
Miedo. Miedo. Miedo. El refugio de miedo. I try, try to say it breathily, and I sound, <laughs> I sound like I know what I'm talking about. It's, 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 the, it's one of the lamest ways to attempt to, to sound as if you know a foreign language. Uh, but thank you, people, very yep. much for listening to us. Uh, remember, you can join us over on the Bloody Pit if you've got anything to say to us here. The email for this podcast is nashicast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Write us. Drop us a voicemail. Anything you'd like to do along those lines. We do still post lots of information, or at least information when it occurs, mm-hmm. over on the uh, Nashicast Facebook page. And uh, oh, I, uh, besides the Bloody Pit, I should I should also make sure that people are aware of the uh, the third podcast that I'm involved with these days, mm-hmm. um, called Wild 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 Podcast, where uh, along with Adrian Smith. Uh, I uh, go through a bunch of... Well, currently we're going through a bunch of Italian science fiction movies. We're doing a series of 10 Italian science fiction movies chronologically from the 50s all the way up through the 80s. And uh, we're about at the midway point now, so it's a good jumping on time. The episodes we keep to about an hour in length. Uh, and uh, I think next up is Planet of the Vampires, the Bava film. Cool. Uh, luckily, I don't have to edit those episodes. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. It's Adrian's baby. I'm yeah. just along for the ride. I, I, get, I get to uh, ride shotgun and, 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 and tell jokes. So yeah. Now you know the fun I have on this one. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Uh, but folks... Please, if any of those topics interest you, check out those shows as well. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. We'll see you next time.